0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to... Wait, what? What happened to the music? The the music dropped out. Oh, right, the message for the listeners. Hey, folks, I know you've been waiting for a new episode for a while. Sorry about that. This thing is kind of a one-man operation. Well, two men, actually. I need Donovan on the show to bring the expertise and, you know, the interesting stuff. <laughs> and he has been bringing it. But all the production, editing, and posting is me and I've had a hard time lately. Donovan keeps showing up to record, and he makes great content for you all, and I'm not getting episodes posted. So, the thing I wanted to tell you guys is we've actually got a few backlogged episodes now, and I considered just saving them and moving straight on to the new stuff, but our last episode was a part one of two, and this episode will be the second part of that, and episode after this one, is I think one of our best episodes that we've made yet. So I definitely wanted to get to post those for you. That being said, the events and the news we're discussing are weeks old at this point. So I know that that's not relevant. Decided not to cut it out because our opinions might still be relevant even if you know, you've know you all already heard the news and stuff from elsewhere. So there's that. And also this episode, the bulk of the episode, we're talking about Zendikar Rising Cards that we haven't played with yet, at the point we recorded it. So, our opinions on that stuff might be completely off base, and at this point we've played with the cards, our opinions might have changed, and you guys might know when I'm saying, oh, this card looks great! That card's terrible! You guys know, because you've played with it. I didn't at the time. So, try and keep that in mind, and uh, maybe when we get back to our new episodes, after this couple that I want to post before we start doing new stuff, Uh, We'll be able to talk about some of the things that we did or didn't mess up when we were doing this episode. So, we're getting things back out. We're putting up these episodes for you. We'll start having new episodes again after I get a couple of these posted. And we'll all catch up with you then. So, I'll let you get back to it. Enjoy the episode. What's up everybody, welcome back to Planeswalkers Anonymous, the magic podcast all about engraving. And if you or anyone in your life shares our obsession with Inscription of Abundance, we are here for you. We won't rehabilitate, but we will have a lot of fun. I'm Duncan, having my Canopy baloth fight Donovan Scoop Swarm. So Donovan, how's that fight gonna go?
1: Uh, well, I mean, the baloth will come out fine, I just, I... I have a bunch of Scoot Swarms, so I don't care.
0: Oh, that's not the one that grows. <laughs> well, all right. I guess these are the sorts of things that you pick up on when you're doing pre-release stuff for the first time, right?
1: Yeah, although I don't think we had any Scoot Swarms in our pre-release.
0: Oh, I I think I opened one.
1: Well, you didn't cast it against me.
0: I didn't just went straight from head. your
1: deck into the graveyard. I was playing blue-red. Oh, I, was, I don't care. I'm playing blue-black. I don't know what colors your deck is. I'm just putting stuff in the graveyard.
0: <laughs> oh, man. I actually felt like... Battlefield be damned. I felt like my deck was fairly strong, and I, and I was doing good,
1: but then uh,
0: <laughs> our mom, who played with us, just
1: cleaned my clock. It's okay. I, I avenged you. <laughs> I put all of her cards into the graveyard with my mill deck. I couldn't get you, but I got her.
0: Yeah, um, I was not expecting to run into combo mill in our sealed tournament.
1: <laughs> I would have had you too if it weren't for your little dog. Uh, I mean, if I had drawn an island. <laughs>
0: yeah, I felt like my wizard deck was pretty good, although I think that I won all my games off the back for rogue.
1: That guy was pretty good. I saw some people playing him on stream over the past week, too, and it seemed like a pretty good card. Yeah. I did see somebody wilt a goblin token that the thing had given them, and I'm like, that seems like you had to do it, but doesn't feel good. Yeah, that's a bad trade. <laughs> I didn't expend a card on that token.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, what, what else do you do? I mean, you can just survive yeah, uh, no, one or that's... two of them for a while,
1: but... I... I fully understand them having to do that but it sucks right so uh is there anything else going on other than pre-release stuff this past weekend
0: i mean not really so apparently or you're familiar with PAX, right the penny arcade expo
1: i have heard the name
0: (laughs) well i think they were having their event online this year because you know obvious reasons and that's been going on all week and the magic esports page magic.gg or whatever uh, mentioned that they were having Modo, Arena, and Paper Magic events at the PAX Online. Yeah. And I thought it was worth mentioning because the eSports page thought it was worth mentioning, which usually only puts together like major things like Mythic Championships and Red Bull Untapped series and SCG stuff. But I couldn't find any information about what people were playing, or who won stuff, or anything, so I don't think they were major events, but I thought I'd mention that was going on.
1: It's probably just a part of their deal to have the Magic Tournament there. PAX said they had to advertise it on their website.
0: Maybe. That makes sense. So I don't really have any details about that, but PAX is cool, and that was happening, and Magic was there.
1: before the pandemic happened, there was a PAX event that was going to happen in DFW that I was planning on going to, and maybe playing the Arena Tournament there, but it got cancelled, yeah. I believe.
0: Yeah. Reasonable but disappointing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well I guess we can roll on into the news then. Yeah, for sure. Your daily newspaper.
0: I think that uh while we were all playing our pre release, Zendikar Rising was getting released on Arena, sort of, right?
1: Oh, I mean they tried. They certainly tried. I think we have an article from Destructoid here and that's going to be in our show notes if anybody wants to look into this some more. But um, from what I could tell, just the, the update was not out on time. The servers just weren't able to handle all the people that were on it and all the different things it had to do. I think like yeah. the renewal rewards and all these new packs people had to open and stuff was just a lot of extra strain on the server per person. And there were just so many people on there at a time but like with the the update like I they normally roll them out at 10 a.m. on Thursdays mm-hmm. so I was just like well I normally leave for work at 10 but I can leave for like 10 10 10 15 or something you know get that update started sure so that when I get home I could play some arena yeah but 10 15 rolled around and the update still wasn't out yet so I was just like well I guess I gotta go <laughs> yep so that happened and then there was some problems with the renewal awards I think you said that some uh, code diggers or whatever had.
0: Uh, yeah, I I don't know much about this. I in that Destructoid article that I looked over for this, they mentioned that some data miners said that Wizards possibly coded in the old rotation system
1: from Throne of Eldraine. So. Yeah, and so it's like I think a lot of people got the wrong renewal rewards images on their screen. They may have gotten the right stuff. I don't know. But yeah. The thing popped up with the wrong rewards images. that gave them stuff they'd already had. Mm-hmm. And. Didn't you say
0: that yours had a bunch of, like, superimposed images? Mine had,
1: like, yeah, I had, like, superimposed images of three layers of renewal rewards thing that just was weird to look at. I didn't know what was going on. You couldn't even tell what the cards were supposed to be. Nope, I could not. But then while I was at work all day, I was watching some streamers because I was like, oh, I want to watch some of the new cards. what decks people are actually playing you know maybe get an edge in some of these limited matches I'm going to play later by seeing what else people are playing limited you know yeah. but the streamers I watched uh, they didn't have a huge amount of trouble but they had some and a lot of it was before I started watching but from what I could tell, all the people in their chat trying to get uploaded was an issue, and I think it's just the streamers got started before I got started watching, mm-hmm. and it was getting started that was the issue, because people would try to boot up Arena, and it would just load to a black screen, yeah. and you apparently just had to keep restarting Arena over and over until eventually it loaded correctly. Yeah, that's not what you want. <laughs> yeah, that was a struggle, and then also just your mat- the matches had a pretty high frequency of After they were concluded, you went to that black screen and your arena thing froze and you had to restart arena. But that put you back in the whole, I have to keep restarting arena until things are going smoothly thing oh so this
0: is like every time you play a match you have to go back to not every time just
1: like sometimes when you're playing a match that would happen and there was pretty much somebody every match that the streamers were doing somebody in their chat windows and stuff were complaining about having this happen to them Mm -hmm. and i think i was watching chris Kavartek the most and uh I i think he had to restart arena a couple of times while i was watching him
0: but they did eventually get it worked out right
1: yeah i mean by the time i got home there was You know, at, like, 2 a.m. or whatever, there weren't a lot of people on the servers, and I was able to play pretty smoothly. Mm -hmm. The update went through pretty quickly once I got home, and I got to play some Magic. I played a sealed event and only lost one game in the whole event, so that was cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is good. What did you play?
1: I think that was my Bant party deck. Oh, yeah. I just had, like, the green rare guy that counts as any type, and I had the blue-white thing that draws three and gains you three life and costs less for each creature in your party, and then I had Linvala that is really good with a full party and i had a i think like the artifact creature that guy that counts as anything and then i had some just other good creatures that were of the party types
0: yeah i think um later on in this episode i'm going to be kind of poo-pooing party a bit but i think having actually got to play with it some during the pre-release stuff and heard from other people and stuff i think that i didn't quite give it enough credit from the perspective of if you're playing In a limited environment that has tribal as a mechanic, there's these four different tribes that you might be in, and then because it's limited, you probably have some stuff that's not those tribes, then you probably have a good shot of getting at least two on your party yeah sometimes you'll get three relatively easily so
1: yeah and there's a there's a couple of rares that actually seem quite good that involve the party mechanic yeah that i'm kind of interested in trying out a deck playing a bunch of them to see see if you can play a constructed deck with a party theme Mm -hmm. i built a little red white warriors aggro deck just for fun called it the mighty ducks and I, I just included some party elements with that deck, and I was like, you know, I think this actually could be pretty good. And so I looked at the stuff and like looked at like maybe a blue-white party deck, and I just don't have the things for it right now. And since I put that together. I thought about it, I was like, really, I probably should play Bant so I can play the green guy that counts as anything. It's a two mana 3-2, and he counts as any party or party. Sure, that's pretty good. So I was just thinking, I, th- I think you could get away with something like that, and I really want to look into it, but I just don't have the wild cards for it on Arena right now. So we'll see how that goes, but I think party might be better than we thought. Yeah. But you just have to understand how it works and work it correctly in order to get those advantages.
0: Yeah, I'm still not going to back down on it being clunky and weird. But I think it might work better (laughs) than I thought it would. Yeah. Aside from, you know, Zendikar having a shaky start on Arena, I think the only really big news going on right now is the September State of the Game update went up, and... Yeah. I think last time we had a State of the Game, we told our audience we were going to start doing those as a main topic, because we always have so much to talk about. But given that we have something else to talk about this week, and we're light on both events and news, I was considering putting this in just the news, and I looked over and thought, also, there's not a lot here. I mean, there's plenty of stuff like ooh, Zendikar Rising, and here's the new mechanics in Zendikar Rising and stuff, but we just did, like, two episodes on that and we're doing two episodes on all the cards in Zendikar Rising and stuff, so, aside from that stuff, there wasn't that much here, and I thought we could just knock some of this stuff out in the news.
1: Yeah, yeah, that sounds good to me.
0: Yeah, I think moving forward, we're just gonna play it by ear and we'll stick it in the news, the main topic, depending on how much we're gonna have to say.
1: That sounds like a pretty way, good way to roll with it. Cool.
0: Well, what did you think was uh, interesting in this state of the game
1: well i think the emotes are fun i don't use emotes a lot but i think that several of the little emote stickers are cute and i think that i might use emotes more given more options on things to say so the fact that you have different options and you can change out your emotes i think is pretty cool
0: yeah i guess they uh they made it possible for you to customize which emotes you want to use and to facilitate that they also added a whole bunch of emotes i guess it wouldn't work great if they just you know said that you can pick now didn't give you a bunch of new ones. <laughs> yeah. But hey, you're allowed to exclude some emotes from your repertoire.
1: A lot of these emotes seem to be like Zendikar... Plain related sayings and i'm just like i don't i don't need that
0: yeah it's like
1: why would you say gnarled follow well i mean i think those are previews of a longer emote oh okay like i think the emote is some uh, like a sentence and you can the the just they just called it the gnarled follow emote Ah,
0: well i guess i don't know what that is i think the stickers are cute though i don't know that i will want to use them in game i don't have a lot of use for that But I like the look of them. It's cute. (laughs) Poor little sads in the cone.
1: Yeah, like I think obey cooperate says my creatures don't obey, but sometimes they cooperate. Uh,
0: Okay, I don't have any use for saying that either.
1: (laughs) And then the swarm rise says, "On vile wings and bloody wind, the swarm will rise." I'm like, that's ominous and all, but like I don't, I don't need that to say that in a fight. Yeah. adding a bit of drama
0: to it not really improving communication though
1: yes i mean you're not going to get a whole lot of communication out of emotes so. agreed
0: i understand and that's like i've seen both sides of this you know like moto allows you to just chat with your opponent and arena doesn't and there's value to both mm-hmm. systems so like eh, yeah okay But I think that this is an interesting middle ground where you have emotes, things you can say. So you can, like, say oops to communicate to your opponent that you didn't mean to do that. So you look, like, slightly less of an idiot. But for the most part, I don't really see any reason to use emotes.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was cool. I think there was a little bit in the rotation and renewal stuff that I thought was actually interesting. Yeah. A lot of it's just explaining how rotation works, and we've talked about that. Sure.
0: But the mastery... The renewal mastery rewards?
1: Yeah, the renewal mastery rewards I thought was pretty interesting because they put in the mastery pass... Or not the mastery pass, but the mastery stuff. You don't even have to have the mastery pass for it.
0: So it's like the free version of the
1: mastery pass. I think there's some more in the mastery pass but mm-hmm. in the free version of the mastery rewards there's some stuff where you get zendikar rising specific individual card rewards yeah which is really useful because like those of us that already had accounts and built up stuff like i don't need any commons and uncommons from throne of eldraine in fact i don't need any commons from any set that's not zendikar rising personally <laughs> sure and i don't need uncommons from throne of eldraine and older stuff like guilds of ravenica and stuff i have all of those uncommons so like getting me uncommon rewards for that is just like a little chip in my little vault cracking progress. And that's cool, but it's way more useful to new players to have those things than for me. And so I think that it's nice that for people that are kind of established players already, they get a little extra on those individual card rewards to make up that difference in value sure. between the different players.
0: Yeah, that all makes sense.
1: Yeah, so I think I think that's pretty useful. I like that. Oh, and there's a sleeve. I guess. That's neat.
0: Yeah, level 31. You get a
1: sleeve saying you're an OG.
0: Yep. I thought it was cool to look at the developer roadmap.
1: Yeah, I always like those. I like to see what's coming up. I frequently get excited about stuff. I think this time and last time, I got excited about Kaladesh Revaster. It's not new this time, but I saw it on there and I was like, yeah!
0: Yeah. What I think is kind of funny is it seems like they're me hidden stockpile coming soon section, as they explained it in this article, kind of makes that section pointless because... They apparently only want to put their coming soon stuff, the things that will come in the next update, which means the coming soon section is just all the stuff that they've already mentioned in this article. <laughs> but okay. So the first interesting in development, so this is the upcoming things, things they're planning to do next, is uh the Kaladesh Remastered and uh Arena Mobile, which we've been at, they said they would get out this year, but that was before the all the pandemic stuff, so We'll see, but that hopefully still on track for this year. And Caldheim, uh, the Norse Mythology Magic
1: set, which I'm looking yeah. forward to. I'm excited for Caldheim. I'm really hoping for some snow hate cards. Yeah. Mobile is going to be cool, too. I'm curious to see how well that actually works. But I mean, I played Hearthstone on my phone for years pretty effectively, so I don't see any reason why it wouldn't work. It might be a little more clunky because Magic is a little more complex of a game. A <laughs> little. Like, tapping specific mana and stuff could be very difficult on your phone. I don't know, but I think it seems pretty cool, Mm -hmm. and we'll see whether or not I can get any work done anywhere if I can play Arena on my phone.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that we were talking about this earlier, and you mentioned that if these are in roughly release order, then that means that Kaladesh Remastered should be coming out in the next couple of months, right?
1: Yeah, and I think they had said something about Kaladesh Remastered coming out by like end of October or something like that in some announcement somewhere. So I'm I'm thinking that one's coming up pretty soon. There's some Kaladesh cards that I'm really excited to play with. Sure. And that with the Amenket cards on Arena, it makes me go, oh, I can build this deck that I played in Standard with like all these new cards and stuff. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, this key part was from Kaladesh. So I'm really excited to get to get some more of those cards together and see what we can do on Historic. Sure. And then in concept, we've got some stuff like a new historic anthology, the next set, Strixhaven. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they're still not happy with the play blade.
0: Yeah, I had you had to explain to me what that is. So for for anyone who doesn't realize, the sli- I guess this is why it's called a blade because it's a little like slice of window on the right hand side of your. Arena home screen where you pick what mode you want to play is called the Play Blade.
1: Yeah, the part that pops out and has the word "Play" at the bottom in big letters. Yeah, you know, it's it's like your uh, dual blade in Yu-Gi-Oh, right? Whenever you're setting up a duel and you have it on your arm, um, I guess so. And it pops out pieces of it and stuff. That's that's what it is, right? Yeah, that seems to be the case. <laughs> But I don't know what they're going to do with that. That thing does seem a bit cluttered and clunky, so I I don't know if they're going to do, it. hopefully it
0: helps. I didn't really think that there was anything specifically wrong with it, but I do recall on one occasion talking to you and being disappointed that a format was no longer available, and you're like, no, it's there. I'm looking at it right now. I'm like, what? No, I'm... And I told you all the things that were there. You're like, it scrolls. I was like,
1: Oh, (laughs) yeah. But another thing that's in the in concept stuff that I'm really excited for is deck sharing. Yeah. I would really like to be able to have my friends test out my deck for me. Mm -hmm. And, we don't have all the same cards, so it's very difficult sometimes for that to work. Sure. But if we could do deck sharing, they could borrow my deck and they could fight me and like they could tell me what's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for that,
0: yeah. And then, like, the last thing they've got on that list there is Pioneer Masters, and that'd be cool if they mean, got that Kaladesh remastered in there and then Pioneer Masters. I know that there's still like four years missing and Pioneer Masters likely won't have all of that four years of magic. Yeah. But we might be close enough to what exists in Pioneer to be able to essentially play Pioneer on Arena.
1: Yeah, and I know it would suck for them to have like a Pioneer queue on Arena where you didn't have all the cards that are legal in Pioneer to play with. Yeah. But I think it honestly wouldn't be that out of character for Wizards to do that because like they did that on Moto with Legacy and Vintage and stuff for so long. Sure, because like whenever a new set comes out that's particularly weird and wonky and stuff, if it's not a standard set, it takes them a long time sometimes to get those cards up on Moto. Yeah, Battle Bond and Conspiracy were particularly noteworthy for having huge delays on those cards getting on tomoto. Mm-hmm. and so i think it would suck if like you could play pioneer and like not all the cards were there but i also kind of think that i would be interested in doing that mm-hmm. because then i could play any decks that yeah, i have for pioneer that all of the cards happen to be on arena i could play those decks on arena with people that aren't playing stuff like soul warden or core spirit dancer or something that's not legal in pioneer
0: yeah i think that you're right That wouldn't be totally out of character. But I also think that given that once they get Pioneer Masters up there and everything, Historic will have things in it that are legal outside of Pioneer, but not a lot of them. And Historic will mostly be the same cards that are legal in Pioneer that are not on Arena already. And so... I wouldn't be surprised if they waited, rather than saying, hey, here's a Pioneer queue that's not exactly Pioneer, when that is a good description of Historic already. It's like, hey, this is like a Pioneer queue that's not exactly Pioneer. They might just wait until they actually have all the Pioneer cards on before they put up a separate queue for it.
1: Yeah, maybe they might.
0: But uh, they might go ahead and do it. I don't know. I think that's everything that I was interested in talking about out of the state of the game this is why yeah. i decided to run it into the news this week
1: the, most of the stuff in it was just talking about things going on with uh zendikar and how that set works and we've talked about that so
0: sure well then before we move on and take a break do you think that you can tell me how to get rich using magic cards instead of money
1: they didn't even need any money they had magic cards I have some ideas. Uh, Let me. uh, I wanted to look up Scoot Swarm, see how that guy's doing, because we talked about it, and I had somebody comment today at work that Scoot Swarm's just continuing to go up. Uh, I think they're a little bit out of date, though. It looks like he's kind of leveled off and kind of come back down a bit. But Scoot Swarm's doing really good, which is fun, because that's a card that I think I talk about being excited for, and it's kind of cool to see some other people agreeing that the card looks very good. And it did kind of have like a rocket to success like it it jumped up from just a couple bucks up to like 10 to 12 dollars and it's kind of leveling off around 10 now yeah so like that's kind of cool so it does look like maybe there was a time to invest in scoot swarm but that might be over if you're trying to get rich quick but my advice though actually is that i think that a lot of these uh jumpstart singles Mm -hmm. are probably a little bit overpriced because of the shortage of cards For that set, like the boxes and stuff were just so short-printed that I think that a lot of those cards are a little bit overpriced. And so I think that a lot of these really high-end Jumpstart singles, it's probably a good time to get rid of them because the stores are starting to get those last boxes from that first print run pushed out to from distributors. And Wizards has said that another print run of it is coming along. Yeah. And so a lot of these cards that are new to this set like uh, Allosaurus Shepherd is like $100 and stuff. I think that that card's very good and I think it's probably a $30 or $40 magic card, but 100 seems a bit high. And so I think it's just that short supply and so I think if as more of them get out there those cards are going to come down some in price. And I think if you have any of them it might be a good time to kind of cash in on some of that stuff. Had somebody come in and sell me a Muxus at the store today and like they got, it's a, that's just a rare card in the set and it's $30
0: yeah
1: and like historically in standard like standard rares and stuff which is what i'm kind of a- equating this stuff to because this set's a unlimited print run set as long as people keep buying it wizards keep printing it
2: mm-hmm.
1: like standard rares are usually like 1 to 5 dollars sometimes 10 if they're really playable and during a spike or something like that but just rares don't usually get that pricey and there's several rares in the set that are worth over $20 a few more that are worth over 10 and then there's mythics that are 30 40 a piece that honestly like don't see that much play like tiny bones is really cool and really cute yeah but i don't think i've ever seen anybody play with the like i don't play much paper magic but like i play an arena on historic and stuff and i have not seen anybody play a tiny Bones. Like, I, I think that the card's good and probably worth some money, but I don't know that for it's $40. Sure. And so, like, I think some of these things are going to come down as more of those things get out there. So I, I think that it's a good time to kind of get some packs if you can get them at a reasonable rate and try your luck at opening something cool. But if you do sure. open something really cool, it's also, if you're looking to really get your value for stuff, it's a good time to get rid of some of the things from this set.
0: Yeah, I was looking at some of this while you were talking about it. And I noticed the graph on the prices for these jumpstart cards are really up and down. Yeah. I also wanted to check and see what the EV was on jumpstart packs. MTG stocks just doesn't have it. So. Yeah, and neither
1: does Blair, which is another site that I use for the same thing. Yeah. They just don't have the EVs for these jumpstart packs in like boxes and stuff. And I think what that is, is the packs are semi-randomized instead of randomized like most sets. So they can't mm-hmm. just take the straight numbers based on the rarities of the cards and say like, oh, this is your likelihood of getting this because there also is like right. how likely is dog packs and how likely are, are zombie packs and stuff like that. And I don't know that Wizards has or even plans to release that kind of information to the public
2: Yeah, like, of
1: when, whether or not you're... the different factions have different rarities or... Anything like what's that. What's your
0: probability of opening up the lands pack? And then, if you do, what's the probability of getting any particular card in that pack? And then that becomes a very complicated probability matrix.
1: Yeah. And I think they're just, their standard formulas don't apply. And so maybe they're in the yeah. works of figuring that out. I don't know. But right now, they don't have it done.
0: Yeah. Well, that's pretty interesting. So so we say uh,
1: buy jumpstart packs, sell jumpstart singles. Scoot Swarm seems to
0: be leveling out, but jump ship on your jump start cards. Uh, if yeah. you don't mind me adding something to the finance advice here, I want to remind everyone that they can get themselves three free packs of Zendikar Rising by entering the code PLAYZENDIKAR on Arena.
1: Three digital packs, just for the record. They won't mail you physical packs. Three
0: packs on Arena. <laughs> and that the uh, PLAYM21... Play Acoria, play Theros, and play Eldrain codes are still live if you haven't grabbed those yet either.
1: Yeah, I like. I really like that they do that. It's not a big deal, but it's just a little something to kind of get you some of those new cards.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because I listed a whole bunch of different ones there, it's play Zendikar is the one for this set if you've already run all those others. Cool. Well, uh, do you want to take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsors, and then come back and talk some about the individual cards we're excited to play with out of Zendikar Rising?
1: Uh, I mean, I'm fine to go to the ad and let them do their thing, but I think really I'd rather just roll the tape from last time. Oh, seems like that
0: might be easier. You know, just, like, use what we said last week?
1: Well, the the stuff we haven't showed to the audience yet. Yeah, let's go ahead and roll out some of that uh, sweet magic card wisdom that we already recorded for them. Alright, cool. So
0: we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be a week ago. Or a week in the past. Time travel joke. Yeah. In the battle against the Eldrazi, the shining city of Seagate was completely destroyed. Now, skilled artisans are gathering from every corner of Zendikar and beyond. To help us rebuild. We are looking to create great monuments to replace problematic statues dedicated to Emerald and other offensive historical figures. This is where you come. Yes, the Seagate Restoration Project needs everyone, even you! If each resident of Zendikar could donate just one dollar, we could fund the entire Seagate Restoration Project. If we all come together, we can truly. Have a Zendikar Resurgent. Alright, cool. I actually think it's a a pretty good idea to get some of those statues that people really find offensive taken down and just removed from public places. I support that.
1: Yeah, I was really uh, shocked to find out that Amiria was actually a... uh misremembrance of Emrakul and like Kosi for Kozalek and stuff like that. And that actually these gods and stuff that been worshipped on Zendikar for so long were actually mm-hmm. these really terrible beings that just committed atrocities and really devastated the, the land around them and really brought a lot of sadness to the people and were just really problematic.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really good point actually, because like you mentioned, these statues exist To honor these figures from the depths of history, and the history isn't really well known about them. Where whenever we talk about taking them down, there's always those people who come out of the woodwork and be like, What? You can't destroy our history? And I'm like, dude, the history doesn't go away because we take down a statue.
1: Yeah, and to be honest, like if you have the statue there, really distorts your memory of it because you, you have the statue and you, so it makes you think it must be a good thing and something you want to remember even if it's not it's sometimes something you have to remember or should remember you know and so there's mm-hmm. you, you kind of give it these better and better connotations over the years and as as the years go by and the like horrific acts the person committed and stuff get pushed out of the forefront of people's mind you just start remembering it's like oh yeah there's that guy that's got that statue down on the corner you know and it kind of deifies these creatures and people and stuff when really they really need to be vilified
0: right and you know like just because we take the statue down and remove it from a place of honor doesn't mean it has to be destroyed
1: yeah i I think that there could be a really good place for those statues in a museum or something like that it belongs in a museum (laughs) where there's something like a plaque or some some uh, reading to go along with it to really contextualize exactly what that character did and what what happened with them and stuff like that. And sure. I think uh, you said before that, like, just because they're terrible people and they shouldn't have statues to them, now that there is a statue, it is kind of art. So it yeah. maybe it doesn't need to be destroyed, but maybe taken out of... It's not always great art. I've seen
0: some of these statues that I bought didn't... Appeal to me, even on an artistic level, but you know, it's a work of art. You can keep it as a work of art and remember what it commemorated, and there are people who think that those are good things too, and they're allowed to, and all that. But that doesn't mean our society needs to honor these figures and this work of art representing these figures with a pride of place in our municipal uh, stuff. <laughs> I kind of ran out of steam there but I,
1: I think my point is, is yeah reasonable. I think I think it's understood I think people uh get our points here <laughs> yeah all right you want to move on to last week yeah let's get on to that stuff we already said
0: cool because uh we realized that we had so much to talk about when it came down to the cards and car Rising that uh we really had more than we could fit into last week's episode and so we thought we'd uh just play
1: that for you here Slap old to be continued onto it.
0: Got a two-parter. So, I guess we'll turn it over to Duncan and Donovan, and uh, we'll be right back.
1: All right. Good luck, past Duncan and Donovan.
0: There's a whole lot more cards in the set. Just stuff that we thought looked interesting and wanted to talk about while we were doing specific cards this episode, right?
1: Yeah. So, I think we have our list here in set number order, and... uh... Yeah. We each added cards to this list and we were just going to, whenever we got to a card that one of us added, that one was going to talk about the card, right?
0: Yeah, basically. I mean, you know, you are welcome to talk about the cards I added too. But um, if you're following along at home, like Donovan said, these are in set order. So you can figure that out, whatever visual spoiler you, but if you follow the link in our show notes to the Scryfall full set page, these are in the order that they're on on but the the first one on the list is Angel of Destiny. It's a mythic in white. It's an angel cleric. 2-6 for white, white, and 3. It has flying and double strike. And whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you and that player each gain that much life. That seems counterproductive. At the beginning of your instep, if you have at least 15 life more than your starting life total, each player Angel of Destiny attacked this turn loses the game. Yeah. And I don't know whether or not this is a good card, <laughs> but it's certainly cool. That has a lot going on there with, like, flying and double strike, 2-6 for 5. That's that's already fairly cool. It yeah, gains you life. It also gains your opponent life whenever any creatures you control deal combat damage to them. So, Like, if you're trying to win through killing your opponent, that doesn't work, <laughs> right? But also, if you get your life total up there... If this thing attacked them, they lose. Like, it doesn't even have to connect with the Angel of Destiny. Yeah. If Angel of Destiny attacked someone and your life total is high enough, they just lose the game.
1: Yeah. And so I think the way that ability's worded is supposed to make it kind of, like, not as punishing to your opponent to let you hit them. They're more incentivized to just let things through. But that also does still give you a clock. Because if you can hit them hard enough, then you're going to gain more life than the damage they're dealing and you'll right. get there. Also, if you do hit them for lethal all in one blow, they will die because this is a trigger. Sure.
0: I also say it's alternate wing conditions are always interesting and fun and like Well,
1: but uh, not always fun.
0: Well, okay. The concept is okay, fun. Yeah. Having alternate wing conditions is a fun thing. And so like even when cards seem like they're bad, if you can find a way to take advantage of that alternate wing condition, sometimes they, that like works out yeah. well. So the fact that this card seems powerful at face value, I think means it's probably good because it has powerful effects that it can do on its own, plus this alternate wing condition that you can angle to break. Like the card is designed to gain you life, right? But you don't have to have gained the life this way. You could just play some spell that gained you a bunch of life and then attack someone with Angel of Destiny and be like, waha! If this creature is still alive at the end of my turn, I win. Yep. So I'm not saying that's how you should do this card. I'm just saying, because of that, I think this probably is a really powerful card. We'll see if there's a deck that wants to play with
1: it. Well, in Commander, you put it in your Commander deck, and then you attach Blade of Cells to it. That equipment says, Quick Creature has Myriad, which whenever it attacks, you put a token into play, tapped and attacking each other player you could attack and so then you hit all three of your opponents with an angel of destiny and each of them triggers for all of that damage and so you'll gain two life four times no you'll gain two life 16 times in the first combat damage step and then the second combat damage step you'll do it again so uh you'll gain 64 life and then you just if you in if, actually i don't know the tokens might go away at the end of combat so it might only kill the player that you attacked with the real one <laughs>
0: You you exile the tokens. Okay, so
1: it'll just kill the player that you attacked Uh, with the real one, but uh, it'll gain you a lot of life. So just anybody looking to do something fun in Commander, that's a pretty sweet play.
0: That is pretty cool. But we have a lot of cards to get to, and the next card is also one of mine. So we got Archon of Amiria. Is an Archon, so 2-3 for white and 2. It has flying, and each player can't cast more than one spell each turn, and non-basic lands your opponent's control enter the battlefield tap. I like this... Just seems good to me. I like this guy. He's a 2-3 with flying for a white and 2. So all that is just fine as far as creature stats go. Yeah. And then locking down what your opponents can do. I mean, like, I think it, when you're playing limited and stuff, this non-basic lands thing is not going to be a big deal. Uh, In this set, it might be more than others, because there's all of the pathways and stuff. but I mean, like, a lot of the non-basic lands that are the
1: backsides of their creatures and stuff come in tapped anyways.
0: Yeah, but that's not really going to be much of an issue in Limited, but I was thinking, like, in, uh, say, Modern Mm -hmm. or whatever, I don't know if this is good enough for those formats, but...
1: Oh, that effect's really annoying in Modern and Legacy, oh, yeah. because if you play a fetch land, the fetch land comes into play tapped, and then if you fetch out a land that's not a basic, it also comes into play tapped.
0: Right, it is really annoying, and like it's also not just irritating, but good, because so many people in Eternal formats are hardly playing any basics anyway, mm-hmm. that this translates to essentially your opponent's lands intertapped. Yeah, that's I'm probably going to so pick some strong. of
1: these up and get them for my uh, el and Taxes deck in modern. Yeah,
0: I think that this is just a good card, why I bring it up. I think this is good. Yeah,
1: the next card we had on our list is not as good, but it's one I added.
0: You don't think
1: so? No, it's Canyon Jerboa, mm-hmm. which is a white and two for a one-two mouse. And it's got landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, creatures you control get plus one, plus one till end of turn. And so, like, I really like that ability, yeah. Buffing your whole team for a land, sure. And this plays with the next card that I'm got on my list, as far as why I kind of want to play with it, is I had this deck okay. last time Zendikar was earned standard that was Naya Landfall, where I played Retreat to Amiria. That was a white and three for an enchantment that said whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you could pick one, make a one-one warrior ally, or give all your creatures plus one, plus one. And I built this deck where I made all these tokens and then, like, got three landfall triggers and gave all of them plus three, plus three, and it was really cool. Sure. And, like, took me to the finals of a PvDQ. like, the only one I played with it. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I lost the finals of that event, because I played against a deck that I'd never lost to before, is because I was late for work, and so I just, like rushed through everything as quickly as possible, including shuffling and stuff like that, and so my deck was not truly randomized, and I drew no lands in one game and all lands in another game, and that was unfortunate but like i'm kind of excited to play with that stuff but i didn't almost didn't add this card to our list because well this is probably going to be kind of redundant given this next card i'm going to get to but this card also kind of is my nomination for cutest artwork in the set oh yeah it's a little like gerbil thing and it
0: almost looks like a photo
1: yeah so like this thing is super cute and so that's really the tipping point for me is like well i don't know if i'm really gonna play this because it's just kind of worse than this other card but yeah it's a little piggy mouse and it's super super cute Okay. So my next card I had on the list was Felidar Retreat. And this is the card that I'm actually going to play with for sure. I might include a Canyon Jerboa or two in my list too. But Felidar Retreat is a white and three for an enchantment that has landfall. Whenever a land enters a battlefield near your control, choose one. Create a 2-2 white cat beast creature token or put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. Those creatures gain vigilance till end of turn. Now, if you remember that enchantment I mentioned before, it made 1-1 tokens or gave all of your creatures plus one plus one till end of turn. This one makes yeah. two two tokens or gives all of your creatures a plus one plus one counter and also until end of turn vigilance.
0: And it's like the same mana cost. Same mana cost, right? yeah.
1: It's just better. The only advantage the other one had is the tokens were allies and allies mattered in that set. They did not matter to my deck. Alright. So <laughs> it's like this is almost a hundred percent strictly better. And so I'm really excited to play with this card and build around it.
0: Oh no, it seems good. The next card. That I brought up is another angel. I say another
1: angel. Well, the first one you said was an angel.
0: Oh, yeah. First one I said was In
1: an fact, angel. angel of destiny.
0: Yeah. Uh, but Legion Angel is a angel warrior. It's a 4-3 for white, white, and two. And it has flying.
1: Oh, well, that's pretty good. 4-3 flyer yeah. for four?
0: That's fine. That sounds good. Yeah. It says... There's more? Yeah. When Legion Angel enters the battlefield, you may reveal a card you own named Legion Angel from outside the game and put it into your hand.
1: This is like squadron hawk. Yeah,
0: the scariest Squadron Hawk ever, <laughs> right? And here's why, I mean. so if you're, if you're playing in a sanctioned magic event, right, then outside the game means your sideboard, right? Yep. Are you limited to having four copies of this card between your deck and your sideboard? Yes. Okay, so that means you can have up to three Legion Angels in your sideboard and one in your main deck or some other company. Yep. So... I'm interested in how this actually is going because if you have say like one Legion Angel in your deck, then you can get up to three more and just like play them in consecutive turns or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you got sixteen mana, you can play them all in one turn. Well yeah, Who's to stop sure, me?
0: but that's not how this is gonna work, right? So like, if you play a four three with flying every turn for like four turns in a row, that's pretty awesome. But in order to pull that off, you have to have three of them in your sideboard. And so, how likely are you to get to that first one at a time that matters? Yeah. But then, if you put two or three in your deck, or say, say you have like three in your deck, so that you have a good shot, then you can only get one. Yeah. Like that might be good enough, right? If you have three Legion Angels in your deck, and then you can go get another one, playing a four-three with flying two turns in a row on like turns four and five. That's also now, pretty good. Keep in mind
1: though, if you draft six of these, then you can put all six in your limited deck. Um,
0: yes, but they are rare. <laughs> Ah, dang
1: it. Foiled again.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, they might be foiled, but... Ah,
1: anybody playing box-sealed, where you just take a box and you build a sealed deck, you might can play six <laughs> of these, right? Maybe,
0: maybe. But I don't know, this, this seems cool. It just seems like for Constructed maybe having 3 in your deck and 1 in your sideboard might not really be good.
1: Yeah, and my, I don't know maybe 2 and 2 though. But, then but they, I I really like the idea of just putting 1 in your deck and 3 in your sideboard and it's just like when you play it it's super powerful, but don't build your deck yeah. around having it. Yeah,
0: but then you're all, you're giving up a lot of sideboard space to this like plan that isn't your plan. Sure. You know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is good. It seems... It's not exactly unique, but pretty, I mean, I guess it is, but it's, like, similar to things that have been done before. Yeah, but it's different. Yeah, it's different. It's interesting to me. Cards
1: like this, though, do make me wish that outside, the exiled zone still counted as outside the game. That way, if yeah. any of them got exiled, you could keep playing Legion Angels, and that would be really cool. You maybe even build a modern deck with yeah. Rest in Peace and Legion Angel in it, so that you just, like, always can play your Legion Angels. But that's not the way the game works anymore, and that's kind of sad.
0: Yeah, I'm just unsure about, like, this definitely seems like a powerful effect. I just don't know if it's
1: good. All right, well, I guess I'm next. I've got Luminarch Aspirant. It's a white and one for a 1-1 one, one human cleric. Super good right there, right?
2: Really?
1: 2-mana <laughs> yes, 1-1. One, need one. a cleric. And it says, at the beginning of combat on your turn, put a plus-1, one, plus-1 one counter on target creature you control. So it's like, it's pretty much a 2-mana two 2-2 two, two at its base. And then if it lives, it can get bigger and bigger. Or you can grow other creatures. So there's some versatility there. And there's already some cards in Standard that can get some benefits from plus one, plus one counters. And then there's some other cards in the set that do. So I think that the card seems pretty versatile. And the baseline of two mana, two, two that it basically is, is pretty reasonable for a card that has a lot of possible upside.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I'm drafting almost any set, like it might matter. Sometimes different sets will give give me different things to care about but typically if i'm drafting and there's not some other thing in the pack that i really want particularly for a specific reason i will take a two mana tutu over almost any like it's just yeah i'm gonna be able to play this early enough to be useful it's big enough to be useful like it's just that's what i want i want two mana tutus and
1: good cards in my deck. mm-hmm Oh, I'm on kind of a run of cards here, huh?
0: Yeah, you got a couple more to
1: do. we got Maul of the Skyclaves. This card is honestly like not that super exciting in of itself. Like it's a white and two for an equipment that when it enters the battlefield, you attach it to a creature you control. And then it has equipped creature gets plus you plus you has flying and first strike. And then the equip cost is double white and twos. Like that's a lot. But I just kinda like there's these equipments in this set that have this enter the battlefield and attach them and the white one is the same colors as Stoneforge mystic so in eternal formats where you have stoneforge you can flash this in with your Stoneforge, and it will attach immediately to something and give it plus two plus two flying and first strike so i just think that this might be a yeah. kind of card that might end up seeing some eternal play for that kind of value mm-hmm. just as a card that when paired with stoneforge can be kind of powerful combat trick sure.
0: Yeah, and I think this is maybe good in standard.
1: Yeah, my flying in first strike is a lot. Yeah,
0: 2-2 flying in first strike is a lot. And one of the downsides of equipment is that they cost so much. You have to play them, and then equip them, and then you have the thing. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't. Yeah, You play it.
1: It's like a better aura, because it comes into play and attaches, and so you don't have to pay that extra attach cost. But whenever the thing dies, you get to keep the equipment. So it's like the best of both worlds.
0: Yeah, I think generally when you're evaluating equipment, what you care about is the equipment. Yeah, you want it to be low. Like, Like... Yeah, if the mana cost is ridiculously high, then it's it's probably not worth playing. But typically, the thing you need to pay attention to is the equip cost, because if the equip cost is low, then you can keep putting this on things, and then it'll be decent. And four is kind of high. Four is more than you want for equipment. But if you think of that as like, yeah, but you don't have to pay that. The
1: first time is free. The
0: 2-2 flying first strike for three mana. And then after that, you just have this extra. I'm kind of babbling here. I think what I'm trying to say is if you would play this for three mana as an aura, then it's good enough. Because you get this bonus effect of being able to equip it to other things later. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I think I think this card's pretty cool. I don't know exactly how much I'm going to play with it, but I do own some Stoneforge Mystics. So I'm I'm probably going to try it out with some of them at some point.
0: Sure, seems cool.
1: Then I've got Skyclave Apparition. This is a card that I think is really cool. It's a white, white, and one, so three mana for a 2-2 core spirit. That when it enters the battlefield, you exile up to one target non-land, non-token permanent you don't control with converted mana cost four or less. That's some restrictions on there. Like, you can't hit your opponent's tokens, and you, like, obviously can't hit lands, but it can hit planeswalkers and equipments and enchantments and artifacts and stuff like that. Sure. It hits a lot more thing than a lot of these effects have done in the past when they're attached to a creature. And then whenever it leaves the battlefield, instead of giving them that thing back like most of them do, this one says when Skyclave Apparition leaves the battlefield, the exiled card's owner creates an XX blue illusion creature token where X is the converted mana cost of the exiled card. So you don't give them their thing back. And the reason it doesn't hit tokens is because since it's going to give them a token and token CMC is usually zero, they didn't want to. Be like, ah! I exiled your thing, and you got a zero-zero token back. Ah! They didn't want the card to be able to do that, you know. Sure. But it is cool because, like, it permanently deals with planeswalkers. Like, I would much rather my opponent have a four-four creature than have their Liliana or something like that. Right. And so, like, even if I hit their planeswalker with it, and then they kill this guy immediately, then at least I like, turned their planeswalker into a token. And it yeah. is worth noting, this is on two separate triggers, so it's going to be the old kind of effect where if you play it and then you can blink it immediately or you you sacrifice it to an effect or something like that, they won't get anything for it because the, they'll be getting the token before anything's been exiled. Yeah. So you won't give them a token if you, can, if you play this guy egg- and target their planeswalker and then sacrifice them to some other effect immediately, then mm-hmm. you just get to get your sacrifice effect and exile their planeswalker or whatever. So I think this card is pretty right. cool. It's another card that I'm going to be picking some up and playing with at some point. Yeah,
0: that's, that's definitely neat. It's really wordy.
1: Yeah, um, but right. it's a kind of a complicated effect. But it does get pretty easy to simplify when just explaining to someone. Yeah. Like an exile, a non-token, non-land, permanent, CMC4 or less. And then whenever the thing leaves, they get a an illusion token in the replacement.
0: Right. That is definitely an interesting card.
1: Yep. That's the last white card on our list, right?
0: Yeah, that, that's the white cards. Moving into blue. The first card that I added in blue is a common instant. first card
1: you added to the list. This was the one that you were excited about. Yeah,
0: it is, actually. <laughs> it is a blue common. It's an instant. It's blue and one. It says, counter target creature or planeswalker spell unless its controller pays Seems two. Seems pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it does, actually. If an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard, instead counter that spell, then scry two. Yeah. And I think it would be really awesome if this didn't specify creature or planeswalker. But since it says creature or planeswalker, at least that's better. If it was just creature, I think mean, it wouldn't be Yeah, it would just
1: kind of be a bad like, essence scatter that sometimes scry you to. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you
0: can usually count on people having planeswalkers these days. And you can probably count on your opponent having eight or more cards in their graveyard at some point, especially if you want them to. Yeah, and it's
1: like one of those things that at the beginning of the game, when they're not going to have eight or more cards in their graveyard, they don't have two extra mana to spend on their spells most of the time.
0: Yeah, and that's really the th- reason I added this is because at first blush, I read through it and I was like, oh, that's just bad. But also, when I first read through it, I was thinking it was if they have eight or more cards in their graveyard, then you add on scrying to. Right? Yeah. They instead counter that spell, comma then scry two means they no longer get the clause about paying two to ignore it. Yeah. So you get to just straight up counter it and also scry two for two mana. Yeah, and not which is a spell I really want
1: and not double blue. I right. mean, honestly, if I, I were guessing the mana cost on this spell, and they told like they told me it was two mana, my guess would have been probably blue black. But blue and one is pretty easy yeah. to splash in decks and stuff like that. Right. You can play it in a blue I mean, white. Blue
0: deck. and one to counter a spell and scry is just a spell that i would want and it's uh, kind of sucks that it's limited to creatures or planeswalkers but that might be just enough spell types to be worth it yeah it's
1: the kind of thing you probably don't run four of but you can yeah, run two pretty not easy you know right
0: and also since it is creatures like your opponent is going to play creatures it's possible to build decks without creatures and people do it those exist and so don't Come Crying Back to Me if, you know, you played against someone who didn't play. I mean, creature. in
1: Standard right now, though, if their deck has no creatures in it, then they have a free companion in uh Kahira the Orphan Guard. So they'll at least have a Kahira, right? Uh, probably.
0: I don't know. I'm just, this card looks bad, but I think it has enough going on it might not be bad. I don't think it quite gets to be good, but I think it's... No, I think it's pretty I'm, good. I'm interested in Because,
1: like you said, the adding on the Planeswalker effect means that any deck that doesn't have a creature almost definitely has a Planeswalker. Right. And so, like, it's going to have something it can snag in the decks. Early on, it's going to be a two-mana counterspell, which is pretty good. Like, having those in your control deck is very useful whenever they're actually good. And yeah. then, late game, it becomes a hard counter a lot of the time. And that yeah. also scries. So, like, that seems pretty good.
0: Right. And I think I was complaining just recently when we were talking about control decks and stuff that control decks re- a two-mana counterspell. Mm -hmm. Negate is pretty good, but most of the time the game-winning spells are creature spells or planeswalkers, right? And so negate doesn't get there when it counts sometimes. An anticognition is going to have different hoops to jump through, but it might shore up those that spot for the control decks.
1: I think this seems pretty good. I think I'm going to hate this card going forward in standard. (laughs) That brings me up with a confounding conundrum, right? This card is a hate card. It's blue and one for an enchantment that when it enters the battlefield draws you a card. So at least it replaces itself worst case scenario, right? Yeah. And it says whenever a land enters the battlefield under your opponent's control, if that player had another land enter the battlefield under their control this turn, they return a land they control to its owner's hand. Like that's kind of wordy, Maybe but the point is like if your opponent plays an extra land they have to return one which is slightly better for them right. than saying they can only play one especially right. in a set that has landfall in it so like that could get dangerous it's like oh right, you're supplying them. Their... They do
0: get the trigger off of having played the Yeah
1: land they're supplying today. their lands and then also on top of that there's these lands there's these spells in this deck that have flip sides of lands so like your opponent might could play a play, a second land later and get their spell back that they have played as a land earlier on so like there's certainly definite drawbacks to it but I like it because it, mm-hmm. it gives you this hate card Card that's just good against all these ramp decks that are running around. Unfortunately, yeah. it is blue, which means that you're getting a anti-ramp card in the colors of the decks that all the ramp decks are. So you're just going to make them better in the mirror if they play this card, which I don't necessarily like. But it is I do like that they printed this like anti ramp card that doesn't just like make the game unfun for people like they can still play their land for turn and have no drawbacks, you know, and then like there could be times for them where it's worth it because they could like play a land, tap their lands for mana, play an extra land somehow and tap that one for mana and return one of their tapped ones. It doesn't just make extra lands worthless. But it does yeah. give you a kind of check on some of these ramp strategies.
0: This is another one of those cards. I think there was one that I really had a problem with uh, in the last set. But it's just the uh, the way they... I don't think there's a better way to do this. But the way they have to template it ends up with the phrase land enters the battlefield under their control is in here like three times. Yeah. basically, you really have to slow down and read to understand what this card mm-hmm.
1: is. But I think it's going to be a useful Which, card. I guess...
0: That's probably good advice, just always, right? Just slow down and read the card, right? RTFC, bro. Now, my next card is another common instant, Deliberate. It's a blue and one, and it says scry two, then draw a card. And I think this is just good. It's not particularly exciting, but this is preordain for an extra mana, which instant makes it a way speed, worse than preordain. Preordain, yeah, the true. It is instant speed.
1: And preordain, though, is like arguably the Best cantrip ever printed, though, right?
0: Right, and this is twice as much mana, which is a big difference. But also, preordain is banned in eternal formats. Well, not all of them, them, but no, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> mean all of them. I just meant that even in eternal formats, preordain is too good for something, yeah. Of
1: them. And so, like, so yeah, Omen of the Sea was already a blue and one, it was an enchantment, but it had flash, so it's basically an instant that said scry to draw a card and then had tacked onto it blue and two, sacrifice this. Try 2. So, like, it was almost strictly better than this card. But this card is an instant, which does matter to certain decks. There's cards like Goblin Electromancer and stuff like that that help you with instants, but don't help you with this Flash Enchantment. Right. All these spells in this set that care about when you cast an instant or sorcery or wizard don't trigger when you cast Omen of the Sea. So, like, the fact that this is an instant does matter and can be helpful.
0: Right, and, like, it's not always going to matter, but... A lot of the time when you're doing stuff like scry to and draw a card, that's sort of just cantrip cards that don't do anything else really, they're just filtering cards and looking for stuff, that is very common to be playing those in things that care about you playing instants or that can like recycle instants later on and stuff like yeah. that. If you combo that with a, oh, what's, what's the dude that... Uh, Snapcaster you know, Mage? Yeah, that, that's clearly not going to matter for Standard. But like stuff like Snapcaster Mage, like that's the sort of deck. But yeah, I mean, there was the um
1: pre-order. There was the card in this set that people were calling like, "Ooh, standards version of Snapcaster Mage." So I don't know what you're referring to. He's a kicker spell, I think. Uh, Seagate Stormcaller. He's a two mana two one that copies the next instant or sorcery spell you cast with converted mana cost two or less, and so and then he's got kicker of five, and if you pay the kicker cost, then you copy the spell twice, and so it's just like this. Can copy your deliberate, you know? So it's like there, there is yeah, value to being an instant sorcery.
0: I think being an instant makes a big difference. Yeah. And so it's like, honestly, I was
1: wondering myself a few weeks back, I was like, man, couldn't they just like print a ponder that's an instant and cost two? And this isn't that, yeah. but this is a preordained that costs two. I'm up next with End of the Royal. More blue
0: commons. This is why I think blue is so strong, is because all the like, rare all suck. Of the scent, yeah. All of the colors have really good stuff. But, like, blue has so much good stuff at common.
1: <laughs> but End of the Royal, um, nothing new. It's a reprint. It's a blue in one yeah. instant. It says return target, non land permanent to its owner's hand. But then it's got a kicker for a blue and one. And if the spell is kicked, you also get to draw a card. So it's just a disperse that can draw you a card. Um, the card has been demonstrated to be very good. Recently in Standard, we had a card called Blink yeah. of an Eye, which was this card, but with a different name because the Royal is a thing specific to Zendikar. Okay. So they didn't want to put End of the Royal on Dominaria, so that, but recently Blink of an Eye was very good in Standard, and End of the Royal was good when it was in Standard before, so I'm expecting the same thing here. And it's kind of cool because Brazen Borrower is already a like, return a non-land permanent to its owner's hand with an upside on it, but it could only return your opponent's non-land permanents to their hand, so you couldn't use it to like save your own stuff. And also, like there was that cost of you put a creature in your deck, and there were control decks that didn't want to run any creatures for reasons. And End of the Royal gives them a different option on a disperse effect with an upside. So I think that's going to be good yeah. for a standard.
0: Yeah, I think it's just Boomerang is good enough in a lot of decks. Not always all by itself, but, but yeah, that effect is good pretty enough. Pretty much every Joanna-
1: control deck pretty much wants to have some kind of Boomerang in it. Because there's, just, there's permanence that your other spells don't affect and you need to deal with them. And there's yeah. not very many spells that just destroy any kind of permanent, but then sometimes they're indestructible. So you have to be able to exile it. This is just yeah. like, look, this gets pretty much anything, doesn't hit lands, but gets anything else. And yeah, it's only returning it to their hand, but you've played Control Magic for a region. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. So like Boomerang is good enough already. And then you just add this for two extra mana, you can draw a card. That means when you don't have two extra mana, it's still good. And when you do have two extra mana, you get
1: bonuses. Like, that's just better. Yep. And then I've got this lame old reprint, Negate. Um, (laughs) I know people probably shouldn't be super excited about Negate being reprinted, but it's just like... I was watching somebody stream the other day, and they're trying to build these standard 2021 decks on Arena where they have that queue for it. Yeah. And they tried to put, they're like, oh, I can't put Dovin's Veto in my deck. I guess I'll play Negate. And then they went and looked, and all of the Negates were rotating too. Like, there were two different Negates that were in Standard, yep. and both of them were rotating as well. So it's just like, I just think this is an effect that it's good to have in Standard. So it's good that they put it in here, and yep. they didn't, like, give us a set off from having Negate. I'm like, I'd be like, uh, this seems bad. And also, the artwork on this one is very cool got a really cool art. Yeah. Some kind of ruin diving wizard guy blasting a fire spell that's attacking him with some kind of gust of wind or water or something like that. Or maybe just Arcana. that's cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool looking.
0: Yeah, Negate is basically just one of those uh,
1: standard staples.
0: pillars of the format. card. Yeah, staple cards. Just, we kind of need it to be around, even if it doesn't get played all that often. (laughs) It just needs to be around. And so, this keeps it in the format. Yep. My next card is... I think this is the first one of our double-sided cards, right? Yeah,
1: because like I said at the last podcast, most of them are bad versions of the spell or bad land.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I I think what we were talking about that time is I was concerned that just giving people two different cards that you want in alternate circumstances on the same card is inherently really powerful, and so they have to make the cards bad to not end up with broken cards. And even then, sometimes it'll be alright because you have the options. Even though both options are kind of bad, like in the situations where you want them, you can do the one. Oh the yeah, I agree.
1: I was just commenting that I thought it was funny. because It looks right. It looks like most of these double face cards are, if that you only had yeah. the one face, would be bad. They're, a lot of them will be good, don't get me wrong, because you have two faces. But a lot of them are, if right. you only had one face, this would be bad. Right.
0: And I think that this one is notable because I'm not sure it would be bad all by itself on its front face. Uh, It certainly wouldn't be great. But what it is, is it's an instant for blue and two. Look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal an instant or sorcery card from among them and put it in your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And that's not great it doesn't do a lot it doesn't really it doesn't affect your battlefield but for a lot of decks that's a good effect
1: it's like peer through the depths though that costs one more mana and looks at one more card yeah
0: it's it's a little it's a little more expensive than what you want it to be and it doesn't do a lot but
1: picking the instant sorcery out of the top six cards of your deck is very useful yeah
0: i mean especially if you're playing a control deck or something you have to have that extra three mana be like oh i don't have a counter spell but i have just enough mana to visions for a counter spell and then counter your thing because it's an instant and three is a lot in that situation but
1: yeah or like on their instep you can dig for your board wipe or something like that so
0: or like if what you're looking for is your anti-cognition because they're playing a planeswalker right just Five mana is reasonable. You might have five mana to use a vision, grab your anticognition, and counter their Planeswalker. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is good enough, just at face value. And then in those situations where you're like, oh man, this is not what I need right now. One of the things that you probably need in that situation is more like, land. If
1: this isn't good, then you don't have enough lands, and that's why it's not good, so just play it as a land. Right,
0: exactly. And it's not a great land. It comes in tapped and it's just blue, right? It's just an island that comes in tapped and doesn't count as an island. So, that's not good, but...
1: Anti-choke tech.
0: <laughs> sure. But if this card isn't good on its face, then you need another land, so you play yep. a land. And so, I think that this actually is pretty good. I think that most control decks will want a couple copies of this. Mm. Whether or not there's room for it might I be think a it, it will show up sometimes. You might sometimes. not see it in them all. Yeah. I think that even if it, it doesn't end up in the list, most control decks will have this on the short list of cards they were considered. Yeah.
1: This next card is a card that's on the list purely just because my Jund is showing. It's a called Lithiform Blight. Oh, we're, we're done with the Oh, yeah. Blue.
0: We're, moving we're moving into, into black.
1: black. <laughs> Get done with those dirty blue cards.
0: All of our white cards were rares. And what? Mixed, I definitely. did. All of my first one was
1: common. an uncommon. The gerbil. The know, little I gerbil was, guy. I was being hyperbolic. But anyways, yeah. Lithiform Blight. This card is, in general, not particularly great. <laughs> um, it's a black and one for an aura that en- enchants a land but when it enters the battlefield you draw a card so it replaces itself i got another enchantment on my list that replaces sure. itself i'm a fan of those it says enchanted land loses all types and abilities and has tap add a colorless or tap pay a life add one mana of any color so yeah you could play this on your land and you have a land that can produce colorless mana, or you can pay life for mana of any color, and that can be useful in ad- cantrips. But, like, the whole reason I thought this card was cool and I'm excited that it exists is it gives me a card in Jund that I can play against Tron to just turn an Urza's Tower into not an Urza's Tower. Sure. The tower part is a land type on those cards, and they need to have Urza's Towers in play for their other lands to do things. And the fact that this cantrip, like, that's one of the problems for Jund in playing against these Tron decks. Is that to play cards yeah. that hate on their lands? You have to play cards that don't deal with cards in their hand, so it's inherently card disadvantage. Whereas this card replaces itself and yeah. deals with one of their lands, and so I think that this card I might play like four of these in my sideboard in Modern. Oh,
0: do you think it's it's good enough? Like I see that it functions in that role. Do you think it is? good enough at that that it's going to be something that you want or are you just saying like you're going to try it out i'm going to try
1: it i don't know for sure if it's going to be good and there's actually another card on this list that i'm thinking about playing in the same role Mm -hmm. and it pairs better with surgical extraction so maybe i'll play surgical extraction in the other one instead of playing this card and get a little bit of graveyard hate in my sideboard in the same place but this card is a reasonable card and i'm going to try it out and see what it does because it'll help against tron and it might help against some of these valakut decks and stuff like that so
0: I mean, it is also pretty cheap. That That's worth saying. It's like, it replaces itself, and that, that's valuable. But if it costs, like, five, the fact that it replaces you still have to take a turn off. Yeah,
1: and it. also, you know? just keep in mind, like, I'm playing a Tarmogoyf deck. Having the ability to put enchantments in my graveyard can also be useful. So, sure. I don't know. Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, might might be good enough. Definitely did not see that angle on this. I thought that looked like just a bad card, but yeah, um, Yeah,
1: um, it's like there's in modern Merfolk decks generally have a good matchup against Tron, because they main deck four copies of Spreading Seas, which is two mana turn a land into an island and draw a card. This is two mana turn a land into a mana confluence and draw a card, which is slightly better for them, but (laughs) you know, same thing. Sure. So we'll see, we'll see.
0: But you mentioned that your Jund is a Tarmogoyf deck, right? And the next card that I've got is Tarmogoyf, right?
1: Uh yes no yeah yeah it is i mean oh i did put one i i started to put that on my list and then i didn't because i saw it was on yours already i was like i thought i put this on there i remember now yeah <laughs> well
0: this has definitely got some key differences to about. some of them are better actually so this is really cool nighthawk scavenger is a vampire rogue and we'll get to its power toughness in a moment i usually do that here but we'll skip it and it's black black and one so it costs three to play It has Flying, Death Touch, and Lifelink. Its toughness is 3, and its power is equal to 1 plus the number of card types among cards in your opponent's graveyards. So, unlike Tarmogoyf, this doesn't get a boost to its toughness, which makes it a bit more vulnerable.
1: Much more boltable.
0: Yeah, definitely more boltable. But it also has Flying and Death Touch, which are cool things Tarmogoyf doesn't have. Uh, Lifelink, also clearly a cool thing Tarmogoyf doesn't have. It's just not evasive. Like flying and death touch are evasion. Life link doesn't help with that, but
1: can be useful.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely can be useful,
1: especially against decks that could bolt it. Like if they don't bolt it, life link is usually really good. Sure,
0: if they do bolt it, the fact that it had life link is not helping. Can they bolt
1: it? Until they didn't bolt you.
0: <laughs> but this actually looks really good to me. Yeah. Uh, like you mentioned, that just limited to three toughness does make it a lot more fragile than Tarmogoyf, but like I was saying, that Flying, Death, Touch, and Lifelink are all things Tarmogoyf. Yes,
1: and it so, is unfortunately that, that it only counts your opponent's graveyard, but it's got that plus one boost. Oh yeah, that's true. So I mean, it could be a nine three. Tarmogoyf can't, yeah. Tarmogoyf so can't I, get So I just think
0: that this is a really cool card. Uh... You are right. though, pointing out that it only counts your opponent's graveyard is significant because you can't build your deck to have a bunch of extra card types to make this work. Uh, you kind of just have to count on your opponent having. But I don't know. This might
1: be a really good role player at playing like a Pioneer deck version of Tarmogoyf, where it's just like, look, he's not Tarmogoyf, but this is Pioneer, yeah. not Modern. So.
0: Right. Yeah, agree. And like, I think just Vampire and Nighthawk.
1: Yeah, that's that's what this card is. Is they jammed Tarmogoyf and Nighthawk together, and they're like,
0: ah, right. But, like, Vampire Nighthawk was good.
1: Yeah, and this is know? this is pretty much a better Vampire Nighthawk, because you're almost guaranteed that your opponent will have yeah. one card type in their graveyard. Like, it's unlikely they have right. zero. In which case, it's at least a three mana, mm-hmm. two, three, flying, death touch, and lifelink. And, like, Vampire Nighthawk sees modern play. Not often, but it shows up, you know? Yeah,
0: and so, like, definitely, I think this is going to be really good in standard. And I think that it could show up in Pioneer and Historic as a really yeah. good card. Uh, depending on, you know, what deck it finds. And I'm in.
1: not going to scoff at it showing up in somebody's modern deck. Like, this card might murder me. No. <laughs> yeah,
0: this, I, I thought, when I first read this card, I was like, this is like Standard's version of yeah. It's Yeah, it seems cool.
1: pretty cool. That was one of the cards I was excited about, too. You just got to it first, and our list is pretty even, so I didn't try to steal it from you. <laughs> <laughs> so next up, I've got Null Priest of Oblivion. This guy is another card where I think, like, it's got Kicker, but the base is just slightly better than some cards that have existed in the past. And I played with them, yeah. and so I think this is just going to be a card I'm going to play with somewhere. I don't know. But it's a black and one for a 2-1 with Menace and Lifelink. And I have played, is it Child of Night, the 2-mana two 2-1 with Lifelink? Like, I've played Child of Night in Constructed decks in my two life. 2-mana
0: 2-1 with Menace is really good Yeah, at I mean, this card's
1: going to be a limited bomb. Like, it is going to destroy some yeah. people unlimited, But it's a rare, so you're not going to see it all the time. But it's got a kicker of mm-hmm. a black and three, and when it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, you return target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield.
0: Yeah, and I nearly put this down on my list, too, because of that last word there. You return it to the battlefield, not to your hand, which is what you would typically see, even for this price yeah, like, like if four you,
1: mana. Yeah, you kicker. slap it onto a kicker card, on a card that the base is already pretty reasonable... And in fact, really good and limited. Then, like you expect, yeah. this like, ridiculous kicker price to honestly just put the card in your hand, you know. But yeah, no, this is six mana. Put a, any creature from your graveyard into play, and also two one minutes life link. Comes with but a decent creature. Yeah, so like I, and it's a vampire cleric, which are two relevant creature types.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, especially as we continue into next year, right? Because this is still going to be legal when the Innistrad vampires yep, comes out, yep. right? It's going to be legal then. Like I know that's looking way forward to like the end of next year. Yeah.
1: But it's a vampire which is relevant in other sets in the past. So it's going to be good there's going to be mm-hmm. some eternal decks that you may to th- see this guy crop up in. And cleric has been relevant in the past and it's supposed to be relevant right now and probably will be even more relevant right. whenever the D&D set comes out and the summer of next year yeah i expect
0: so i think that's one of the reasons why so like we talked last time about how i think the party mechanic might even have just originated in the D set and they moved it here when they had too many mechanics or, or maybe this set was missing a mechanic yeah right but i also think that they may be intentionally pushing clerics now just so that there will be lots of clerics available because cleric is a supported creature type in magic but they really stopped doing clerics in any significant
1: Yeah, amount. because they, they switched over to their tribal stuff being more about races and less about classes. Right, And so they would do some every now and then, but it was uncommon. And clerics are one that mostly was useful for that tribe of this class tribe that they used. And they didn't use it very often just as one-off stuff. So yeah. yeah,
0: so I think that they're pushing out some cleric stuff now so that the standard environment will already have a bunch of other clerics to play with when they do another set that cares about clerics. Yeah. That's my guess. I mean, honestly,
1: Zendikar is a plane that cared about creature types in the past, you know? Like, yeah. it was allies versus Eldrazi, sure. but both of the other Zendikar blocks had creature type matters cards, and the Eldrazi are gone now, so you can't really do, well, all the people are allied against the Eldrazi you know? Like, well, they're not... There's no Eldrazi yeah. to be allied against. You know? So, like, if you want to do that creature-types-matters thing, they could have just had allies still, but it's like, what are they allies against? Um... Sure. Which is what people wondered in Zendikar and Worldwake, right? <laughs> These ally cards. Yeah, like... What are they, like, what are they allies of? I'm
0: perfectly happy for this Zendikar Rising to have a creature types matter theme going on and to push these specific creature types that's fine. The thing that I find awkward and don't really like is the party mechanic that cares about having one of each or at least one of each or whatever. Like I don't (laughs) think the party mechanic works there and it doesn't seem thematic was in the car and it just doesn't work for me but whatever. My next one is this one's just a big bomby mythic so not surprising that it's a splashy card but it's a scourge of the sky. I mean it's
1: interesting, for sure.
0: It's a demon. It's a star-star power toughness. is a black and one.
1: Yeah, you don't get a lot of 2 it mana has, demons. Uh,
0: it's power and toughness are each equal to 20, minus the highest life total. Seems multiplied. real bad in Commander.
1: Which means... <laughs>
0: right? And also, if you just cast this on turn two, for two, it's probably just going straight. I don't back.
1: know. It depends on what kind of deck you're in. Yeah, it does depend. I think that there's but... this at least one of these is going to crop up in Death Shadow and Modern.
0: Yeah, but it has kicker, so for a black and 4, which makes it its total mana cost, if you kick it, is 7.
1: Oh, that seems much more demon-like. But okay.
0: Black, black, and 5, and when you cast the spell, if it was kicked, each player loses half their life rounded up.
1: Oh, and that's a cast trigger, too. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, considering that it would die yeah, in the trigger. battlefield if it was an ETB, <laughs> but... <laughs> I just didn't think about that. So, like, you get the cast trigger, at least, even if they counter this guy. Unless they use a whirlwind denial, I guess. But but if you manage to kick
0: this dude, if nothing else has happened, like, clearly, like, all kinds of other things can happen, right? But if nothing else has happened and you kick this guy, then you get a 10-10. And
1: your opponent's at 10.
0: Yeah, and your opponent's at 10. And that's cool. Yeah. But the really cool part about all this is, like, that kicker is there to, like, shore up that situation, I think. To me, what's cool about this is if, say, you're playing this on turn 4, 5, and 6, right, after you've been aggressive, then this could come down as a 10-10 for 2 on turn yeah. 4.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. And I think that if you play this guy in Standard, you're going to need to play some of those spells that have you're, whatever, I, it may be this Agadim's Awakening. You may be stuck playing Agadim's Awakening in your deck because the flip side of it is a land that enters the battlefield untapped if you pay three life, you may be stuck playing some of that card in your deck just because if your opponents are playing a control deck, you need to find a way to make yourself lose some life so the guy at least comes in as a 3-3, you know? Because you can't be at 20 either, you know? So it's just like, I think that if you play this guy in standard, you may be priced into playing Agadim's Awakening with it, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that's that big a deal. Zagadim's Awakening is a spell that reanimates creatures, and the flip side is a land. So it's like, well, I'm going to play it as a land most of the time, but sometimes I'll draw it on turn 17 and be like, oh, cool, i get my creatures back. Yeah,
0: I think also, something else that's cool about this card is even if the highest life total among players is, like, 17, right? You still get a 3-3 three yeah. two.
1: Yeah, and so I was just saying, like, I think you need some of those lands, like I said, for the control matchups. Yeah, because they may not attack you until turn seventeen, and so you ne- you need mm-hmm. something that's going to make you lose life. And there are some spells right. you can play and stuff that do that, like Murderous Rider and stuff like that. But you need to you don't guarantee to have targets for those, and having something else is probably good. You know? Yeah,
0: I mean, if you're playing this in uh, historic, then you can. Play yeah, if you play it in historic,
1: I think this card's going to be great with Thought Seas and Shocklands and stuff. Yeah, but it's just saying like you just I was just making a comment like. You just gotta watch out for your own life total, and sure. standard, there's not as many options for that. Right. Also, like, watch out if you give him lifelink. Just be careful <laughs> with that.
0: I also just think, I know I already brought it up, but don't underestimate playing it as a, like, 3-3 or a 4-4 for two. Like, that's like, that's That's good. pretty
1: good, and he grows. Like, it's not like it's yeah. static when he enters, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, I think the card's pretty good. Yeah, I, mean, I like he it. can
0: even play as, like, a 2-2 for two, and that's fine, especially because he can grow. Just get him out there. But I've got a run of cards here, so let me move on to my next it's Shadow's Verdict mm-hmm. is a another black rare. It's a sorcery for black, black, and three. And it's exile all creatures and planeswalkers with converted mana cost three or less from the battlefield, and all creatures and planeswalker cards with converted mana cost three or less from all graveyards. Yeah. So just all of the cheap creatures and planeswalkers go away.
1: Yeah, and this is really good because it deals with Uro, whether it's in play or in the graveyard. And Uro is one of those cards that's kind of running over standard right now. Yep. And also, if they decided to unban Cauldron Familiar, once Mayhem Devil rotates out of Standard, this would be a card that gives you an out to making sure you get rid of the Cauldron Familiar. I think they won't because they have a tendency to, in Standard, just be like, "Look, we put it on the ban list; it's it's going to stay banned through Standard." That's yeah. kind of their tendency so far. But it's possible they will unban it at some point. And so, like, this is a card that deals with Cauldron Familiar if they decide to unban it, and also deals with Cauldron Familiar in Historic and stuff like that, where it's still yeah. legal.
0: I think those specific. Ex- examples are definitely valuable and like I, that just adds to what i had already thought of which is a fairly basic level approach to this card but the reason i brought it in is because like five mana for a sweeper is about what you expect and having that in black is good like black likes to get to have the sweeper for once so you could a lot of times these sorts of spells are in white right mm-hmm. but and then just it like sweeps the battlefield And hits Planeswalkers also, and that's awesome. Like, that's why it needs to be limited to things that cost three or less, right? Because if it was just five mana, destroy all creatures and all Planeswalkers, that might be a bit strong. But as an additional bonus, like, you also get to take things out of the graveyard. So there's that. Yeah. But I just think that this is going to be conditional. It's not something you always want because that mana cost three or less is like the breaking point, right? A lot of decks are going to go over it. A lot of decks are going to go under it. So this is not always going to be the card you want. But when you do want it, this is great.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good card. Um, I think it's likely a card I will never cast. <laughs> but not a card that I think sure. people should. And
0: then my next card is a just an efficient creature that I think is just going to be good. It, it's also a rare, so you can... You get what you pay for sometimes, right? (laughs) Yeah. But it's a Skyclave Shade is a shade creature. It's a 3-1 for black and a 1, and it can't block, and it has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, if Skyclave Shade is in your graveyard and it's your turn, you may cast it from your graveyard this turn. And it's kind of significant that you get to cast it again, not that you just get it back, because it has Kicker for black and 2, that gives you an extra 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it. So basically for uh, 5 total mana, black, black, and 3, it comes out as a 5-3 that yeah. can't block. Or for 2, it's a 3-1 that can't block.
1: But the Landfall brings Those, it back again and again. Yeah, so.
0: like without the Landfall, it would be kind of disappointing as a rare, but still probably reasonable as a card as a creature. Like, yeah. might be, It might
1: be an okay uncommon to have exist. Yeah.
0: But with that landfall, that gives you the opportunity, like, you're going to play lands. It's not like you had to jump through hoops to make this happen. there's just, when you do, you can cast this guy again. And if you don't have a lot of extra lands, you pay two, and you got a three-one. And you keep on bringing back your three-one, that's very reasonable. You can keep paying two and keep bringing back a three-one, and then, because you're doing this by playing lands, you're gonna... Grow up. How many lands you have available, and maybe at some point you can start paying five to bring it, keep bringing it back. Yeah. like that's pretty scary.
1: Yeah, it seems good. Exile me, target. <laughs> yeah, something you're gonna need those shadows verdicts for. Yeah, yeah, that brings me back around with uh, a Hope's demise. I think is this one. This one's just a rare, right? It's not a mythic. Yep. Yeah, so this guy is a black and two for a 2-2 demon cleric. So He's a little bitty demon. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little bitty demon. But he's got flying. And then he has lifelink as long as he has five or more plus one plus one counters on him. So far, seems pretty bad. <laughs> but he does have an ability to get some counters. And he says, whenever another non-token creature you control dies, put a plus one plus one counter on Tabarax. And if that creature was a cleric, you may draw a card. If you do, you lose a life. So... He's a three mana two two flyer that whenever your other creatures die gets bigger. And if those creatures are clerics, like if you're doing a cleric tribal deck, you'll also draw cards. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you lose life for that. But if you do this a bunch, he'll have lifelink. So it's not a big deal. Um so yeah, I think he's pretty cool. Um I like effects that reward you for killing your own stuff because uh (laughs) I kill my own stuff all the time. So
0: (laughs) in addition to killing your own stuff, like it's just your stuff is gonna die. Yeah. Kind of like what I was saying on my last card. You're going to play land cards. You're going to have creatures die if you're playing with creatures. Yeah. So, you know, you're your two, 2-2 two flyer for three.
1: Not too bad. Right on face value. Yeah, uh, and he can get bigger, and if he gets bigger, yeah. he gets better. What else we got here? That's all our black cards, right? Oh, me again. Moving on to red.
0: Yeah. Yep. You can get to start us off in red.
1: So in red, I'm starting off with step links. It's a white to cast a zero one. one Wait a minute. That's not in this set. <laughs> So we've got Akum Hellhound. He's a red to cast. He's a 0-1 elemental dog. And it says, Landfall, when a land enters the battlefield under your control, Akum Hellhound gets plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn. So you may have heard me mention steplinks. And the reason I did that is this is just a red steplinks. Steplinks was a very good card. Yeah. Uh admittedly it was in standard at the same time as Speciallands, because it was in the same set step Speciallands. But we've got like fabled passage and stuff. And so I just like I think Akum Hellhound is probably gonna be a very good card. And then on top of that, if you play these eternal decks, you can build this like red, white, step links, Akum Hellhound, landfall deck that just bullies people. Maybe some kind of Naya zoo deck, I think, might play yeah. this card.
0: Yeah, I thought about adding this to the list myself because like that one mana two three. That's
1: pretty aggressive. And like on the first few turns, at least you're going to have lands to play. So you play him on turn one. He's going to be a two, three, at least the first few turns in theory.
0: Right. (laughs) And like by the time he can't be a two, three anymore is likely there's a point where your one drop isn't going to matter anymore anyway. Yeah. Two, three might still matter at that point, but whatever your alternate one drops are, they probably wouldn't have mattered, you know?
1: So I, I don't know, I think he seems pretty good, and there's also some other cards to play along with it that I didn't put on the list. Some stuff like Territorial Scythe Cats, a 3-mana 2-1 with Trample that landfalls for a plus-one, plus-one counter. And then that Signpost Uncommon Guy, Brushfire Elemental. Like, you could play some of these guys and you could really do some damage with your landfall aggro deck, so... I think he's pretty cool. And he is a dog, which is relevant to some of the creature types in uh, Corset 2021. There's some stuff with dog tribal stuff that flashed into red. So, yeah. And an elemental, which I guess might matter. But all the elemental cards that matter, I think, are rotating. So we'll see how that goes. (laughs) Yeah. Next here. Cinderclasm. Me again. Dude, this card looks sweet. It's a red and one for an instant that deals one damage to each creature. And then it has kicker for a red. And if the kicker was paid, it deals two damage to each creature instead. So it's just a, it's, it's a two mana instant speed, one damage to everything, or three mana instant speed, two damage to everything. Yeah. I think it's a reasonable variation upon Pyroclasm. Sure. Especially because, like, a lot of these have been three mana, deal two damage at instant speed cards. This one gives you the option of doing one damage to each creature for two mana, which could matter sometimes, because sometimes... If you're on the draw and your, the aggro deck your opponent's playing is on the play, they might on turn 3 have like a 1-drop and a 2-drop and a 3-drop that they just played that are all X-1s that you would really like to kill all of them. And so on turn 2, on your turn 2, their turn 3, you could get some real yeah, blowouts. I, I it.
0: think that this is just good. It's efficient. To me, this one isn't particularly exciting, but I'm like, yeah, that seems like a reasonable card to exist. It is going to be useful sometimes.
1: Yeah, our 3-mana red board wipe is rotating, so I'm glad that it's getting yeah. replaced.
0: Oh yeah, that was, the, that was like, this seems like the right way for red to get its board wipe, right? Yeah. Like, I was kind of excited about black board wipe earlier, this is the red board mm-hmm. wipe. It's three mana to deal two to everything, that's fairly typical for red. In this case, you can get a discount on it, but it will only kill your opponent's tokens. And
1: stuff. Yeah, or their Coom Hellhounds.
0: Uh,
1: next up, we've got Cleansing Wildfire, which is a card I uh, foreshadowed talking about earlier when I was talking about Blighted Lithophage. Um, yeah. This one's a reddened one for a sorcery that says destroy target land its controller may search their library for a basic land card put it onto the battlefield tap then shuffle their library and then you draw a card. Mm-hmm. So this is another card that I think I might try out in Jun dealing with Tron lands because it, it'll blow up yeah. their land and like they get like to go this. get a basic for it. So like mm-hmm. that's not great on rate as far as like card for card thing goes but then it cantrips to replace itself once again so like it get, breaks up Tron and draws you a card. So like, I think that this yeah. seems like a pretty good card to try out in that same role. And then also, if your opponent's just playing some land that's a problem for you, like Castle Lockthwain or something like that in Standard, you can use it to blow up that. If you're playing some kind of landfall deck, you can use it on your own stuff to get more landfall triggers. So I think it seems like a pretty cool card that's going to have some different uses. Mostly it's going to be dealing with problematic lands with abilities, but there's going to be a couple of different uses for it.
0: So my first red card is another splashy mythic Flying monster and is a Leyline Tyrant. It's a dragon. It's a four-four for red, red, and two. It has flying, and you don't lose unspent red mana as steps and phases end. When Leyline Tyrant dies, you may pay any amount of red mana. When you do, it deals that much damage to any target. So this dude is a four-four flyer for four, and that's fine. It's not going to be great and constructed, but whatever. That it is a a monster that you can have, right? Uh-huh. And then uh, every turn, or even like at the end of your opponent's turn, you just tap out all of your red mana, and it just hangs around. And then not only does that mean like you can keep building up until you have six hundred mana to blow up at somebody when this guy dies, but also like you can use that mana and save that mana and stuff for other things while this guy's on the battlefield. And so if you have like Four mountains is your, is the lands you have right now, right? You play this guy, and on the next turn you tap all four mountains and don't spend any mana. Then the next turn you have eight mana to spend. play A bigger monster or whatever. It's like you can do either one. You can save up your mana to make a giant explosion when this guy dies, or you can use this as just like crazy good red ramp strategy.
1: Yeah. And like at four.
0: Like, this guy's playable.
1: 4 mana, 4, 4, Yeah, I was
0: just thinking, like, a lot of things like this, I would expect him to cost, like, 7. In which case, you're like, yeah, but I'm not going to play a ramp card that costs 7, because once I'm there, I could just play other things that will win me the game rather than ramping up to 8 or Mm 9 or whatever, right? But this guy, like, you play him at 4 and ramp up to 8 or 9. That just seems Mm -hmm. pretty cool to me. Uh, And then I've also got Magmatic Channeler which is a human wizard, so 1-3 for a red and 1, and it says, as long as there are four or more instant and or sorcery cards in your graveyard, Magmatic Channeler gets plus 3, plus 1, and it's to discard a card, and you exile the top two cards of your library, and then choose one of them, you may play that card this turn. Mm-hmm. And I think this is pretty cool. I think a 1-3 for 2 with that ability is playable. Like, that's... Yeah,
1: probably not amazing, seems but decent. seems... Playable. Yeah, it's
0: not aggressive enough for what you want to do in a deck that wants that ability just in and of itself, you know? Yeah. Like, being a 2-2 would be better for that. But it's that's probably all right, because it's cheap enough that you can get it out there on the early turns when it's still relevant Yeah, and start using this ability to get extra spells off the top of your deck. You do have to discard a card, so you're not getting more cards than you could otherwise play. But you can, like, discard your lands and stuff to it. Uh, alternatively, since it has this clause about three or more instants and sorceries in your graveyard, you can discard an instant or sorcery, exiling the top two cards of your library, choose an instant or sorcery, and play that, and then you've got two instants or sorceries in your graveyard this turn Mm -hmm. off of that ability. And so I think this card can, by itself, pretty easily get that condition met, and then it becomes a fourfold. And so you you are paying resources into it, because you're going to tap this guy, discard a card, then you have to pay the mana or whatever to play the card that you got off the top of your library. Yeah. So it's not exactly just a 4-4 four, four for two, but it is kind of a 4-4 four, four for two because it can do it, like, it sets you up to meet that condition. You yeah. Know? So I think that this is another cool... Yeah, I
1: think I'm going to be playing with this card some. I like to play Wizards and Historic, so this guy's probably going to find his way in there at some point.
0: Yeah, and I like to play just Instants and Sorceries. I can definitely see a... uh a nice red-blue Wizards Matter deck. This guy and that Flying Merfolk we discussed earlier, both yeah. in it. Like, that seems cool. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I can also play my Deliberates and Into the Royals and stuff in there. Just seems like a cool deck, and I don't even know what it's doing yet. It's just <laughs> got a couple of cards.
1: Yeah, I like that card.
0: Next one. So I've got a whole run of these red cards. I had, had several that I like. Got Morag, Fury of Aku. This is a Minotaur Warrior. Is legendary, so can be your commander. Minotaur warrior, 6-6 six, six for red, red, and 4. Does each creature you control gets plus 1, plus 0 for each time it has attacked this turn, which is a weird clause.
1: <laughs> but in general, when a creature's attacking, it'll have plus 1, plus 0 then, at least. Yeah. So
0: Then it has landfall. Whenever a land enters a battlefield under your control, if it's your main phase, there's an additional combat phase after this phase. At the beginning of that combat step, untap all creatures you control. So that means you can have multiple attacks per turn. Yeah. Right? But, like, here's my question. If you play a land on your main phase, Mm -hmm. then you go to combat. Yeah. That will be your additional combat phase, right? Yep. And then you would go to your next combat. Like, you go to your normal combat phase, but your creatures would all still be tapped from the first one. Correct. Right? So, alternatively, what you do is you attack, then go to your second main phase, play a land, then you get another combat phase where you get to untap your stuff and all attack them, yep. but then you do not get a third main phase after that to play more lands. Correct. Can you play two lands in your second main phase and get two additional combat yes. phases? Okay. So the way you want to stack things, so they, like, stack, it's not using the stack, but the way you want to organ organize things just is do your regular, normal attack, go to your second main phase, play as many lands as you want to play, and then do that many more attacks.
1: Exactly. Things. That's exactly what
0: you want to do. Stacks, whatever. Okay. So, the, like, that is a bit more... Comp- like, I expect that, generally, this is going to be an out-of-order sequencing thing if you want, you know, like, if you don't get the orders right it should work that you get an attack step for each of your lands. You just want to make sure that you're doing that in your second main phase. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because if you do it in your first main phase, you're going to get your extra attacks first, which means that you don't get your regular attacks. All your stuff is still... Let's
1: say Vigilance, but yeah. Okay. Which is not our red ability. Uh, But
0: but then his first clause comes into play, where, like, if you attack three times this turn, then that third time you're attacking, your creatures are all
1: getting plus three, plus Mm zero. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Seems pretty useful. I may have to try this out in my Naya version of the Landfall deck. I don't know. It's like six a, mana, but I'm yeah, ramping. As a so. six
0: drop, this is going to be on your top end, right? But like, that seems pretty good. I guess it depends on what else you're doing, because you want to have a combat-focused deck, mm-hmm. right? But I don't know, this guy just seemed like this is the sort of card that when your opponent is playing, you're like, oh, this is going to go bad. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't know that you're going to see it all that often. So I'm not sure that this is what people are going to want to be doing. But when they do do it, you know, like, oh, this is not good. And then, <laughs> uh, I believe my last red card is Nahiri's Lithoforming. That's a card name. Yes, it is. Uh, it's red, red, and X says sacrifice X lands for each land sacrificed this way draw a card you may play X additional lands this turn lands you control enter the battlefield tapped this turn so i don't know if this is good or not but like you can replace any lands you sacrifice if you have more lands mm-hmm. to play to replace them and you get to draw a bunch of cards but if you're planning to replace your lands then you're just refilling those slots that in your hand with cards right like you're not really getting card advantage out of this. Uh, on the other hand, if you can afford to just sacrifice a bunch of lands and not replace them, you can just sac- like churn up extra cards. And you can sacrifice the lands you tap to pay for this. So-
1: to tie in a card you have on your list on the green cards. What did you think about the fact that you could play lands uh, from your graveyard? No, I didn't
0: think about that. Bad. Mm-hmm. Play the lands that you already sacrificed over yep. again? Yeah, Yeah, that seems like the best way to use mm-hmm. this. Uh, I don't really have anything else to say <laughs> about this except what it does. It's like,
1: look at this thing. <laughs> Yeah, it does stuff. I think the artwork is very cool for this card and very representative of what's going on here. It's like got Nahiri like yeah. flying through the air with like all this lava flying everywhere. And it's just like you're just terraforming, you are changing the lands around. Yep. You know? Um, um but yeah, it seems pretty that- cool.
0: Like you mentioned, if you can play those lands from your graveyard, that would be a way to just get a ton of landfall triggers, right? Yep. Just sacrifice all of your lands and then play them all again. hmm uh, Just, I, I don't know. Like, it just seemed like this is a card to notice. Yeah. Um, I yeah, really like that. I had not thought of it, but I like the idea, like, there is at least one way to play lands out of the graveyard in this set so yeah and that could be the thing in
1: eternal formats where you have the scapeshift deck and stuff you could maybe play other cards like crucible of worlds and Ramanap excavator and stuff along with it as yeah. well and play this as like a one-off in yep. like a scapeshift yeah, uh, style deck.
0: excavator is in historic now right
1: yep mm-hmm. so there's that yeah this is a card that would not be okay in historic in my opinion a field of the dead was not banned <laughs> so yeah I've got Valica Exploration to finish up the red cards for us here. It's a red and two for an enchantment that has landfall when land in his battlefield near your control. Exile the top card of your library. You may play that card for as long as it remains exiled. And then it has at the beginning of your instep, if there are cards exiled with Valica Exploration, put them into their owner's graveyards, then deal that much damage to each opponent. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, it basically gives you lands to play. Like when you play lands, you get to exile top card or library for like another card you could play this turn and if you don't play the card it deals a damage to your opponent is basically what it does yeah Um, but there is some cool stuff you can do with it i thought it seemed pretty neat and useful but i didn't really think anything of it until somebody mentioned like in legacy you could play this with the card mana bond that says at the end of your turn you can put any number of lands from your hand into play if you do discard your hand I think is how it's worded. And that one would do it on your instep, so you'd have all of the cards from Valakut Exploration through your next turn. Because the instep trigger would have already happened, and you could, you could like, put, like, six lands into play in or something like that, ridiculous, and then have a full hand to play with next turn if you did the yeah. mana bond thing. And so it just seems like it could be, you could do some really cool stuff with that, but then just on top of it, outside of that, it just, it does seem kind of good. Just like, look, when you play a land, you're either going to get another spell to cast or you're going to deal an extra damage to your opponent.
0: Yeah, thing that I noticed about this is a lot of things that have a similar effect to this, like, this is a fairly unique thing, but there's especially in recent years, there's been a lot of stuff in red that lets you exile cards from the top of your library and then play them, like Magmatic And Channeler. this turn. Yeah, but usually with that type of ability, if you don't play the card, you just lost it. And it's just gone. You don't get an opportunity to play it later, and like it's exiled, so like, you can't get it back out of your graveyard or whatever. It just you didn't play that, so now it's just gone. Right? Whereas this, you get an effect. Even if you don't play the card, you get an effect that is useful, and the cards then go to your graveyard. So if you have something like uh, I know I used this example already. I just don't know what the standard example would be. If you have like a Snapcaster Mage or something, then, then it is yeah. there in your graveyard. And
1: just so, as another avenue, just if you think about this, these are separate abilities on the card. And the first ability just says you can cast it as long as it remains exiled. So if you get rid of Valica Exploration before your instep, the card's just there forever for you to cast. Yeah. Which could be right. useful.
0: Yeah, I think that that's cool. This is one where I don't know if, like, you said you think it's good, and I'll trust you on that, because it seems like it might be. I just, I don't know if it's good or not. I just like the fact that, like, oh, this does something with the cards, even if
1: you don't play them. If you don't play them, they go to your graveyard, which means they're not inaccessible, and also it deals a damage to your right. opponent. So, like, yeah. Yeah. I think it seems good. Yeah, I think so. It does only give you extra cards if you have lands to play. So, like, if you're top decking if you top deck a spell, this doesn't give you anything else yeah. to do.
0: And then I've got another clump of cards for me to do Mm -hmm. but we are moving out of red and
1: into green ah well going to green where adventure awaits
0: yeah i'm gonna start with adventure awaits and this might be a weird thing right but i wanted to point out that watsi's headquarters is in washington state they're in i think it's renton right like right outside of seattle uh but washington state's like uh state motto motto, but like they're a tourism Thing,
2: you know, yeah.
0: like their advertisements and stuff are like, "Come to Washington," is adventure awaits, and so I don't know that there's anything like any connection, you know, like it just, I don't know, I just noticed it, so yeah. it's like, ah, I wonder if they noticed that, right? I'm sure it think was they was, <laughs> it's just, but then like, there doesn't reference anything about Washington; they just used that phrase, you know. Yeah, so. Eh. I don't know but it was a coincidence that i noticed and i thought i would point it out but it's it's a sorcery for green and a one and a one mm-hmm. or a green and one look at the top five cards of your library you may reveal a creature card from among them and put it into your hand put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order if you didn't put a card into your hand this way draw a card and this just seems good to me like it's fairly at common so like you get you're gonna have these in your limited events and stuff like that effect of looking at the top five cards of your library and putting a creature from among them into your hand that sort of thing in different variations has just been typically pretty good all by itself the downside of cards like this is often that you can just whiff you can look at the top five cards and not see any creatures and then too bad for you you can go cry about but this one says no if you whiff you just get to draw a card yep so You always get something, and I think this is good. I don't know that this is going to be a game-breaking card for like constructed or anything, but I think it's good.
1: I don't know. I think it's very conditional, just like as far as like where are you going to play this? Because like you don't really want this on two mana in an aggro deck. You don't want to spend two mana finding a creature. You just put a creature in that card slot, and even if it's not a good creature, it's better. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, you're going to play this in a deck where you want a specific creature.
0: I think you just play it in a mid range deck. You pick out your best creature to play in the next couple of turns maybe maybe you not going to be doing anything much on the first couple turns anyway Mm -hmm. it's like what was that a green card in throne of eldraine was like a single green and does something like filters through the top couple cards or whatever
1: well in throne of eldraine it was zero mana and it looked at the top five and you got a creature right because it was once upon a time and that card's hella bad because it was free yeah
0: Right, but, I, and I get I get that. Like, the fact that you could do it for free made a big difference, but I'm pretty sure I remember you saying the same thing about that card back in Throne of Elf. I think this effect sure. is just better than you give it credit. I mean, for.
1: but there's one mana, look at the top three, get a creature or land that isn't standard right now, and nobody's yeah. playing it. And in an aggro deck, right. you're almost well. guaranteed to hit something in, you know, the context of creature or land. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, this looks at two more cards, but... I could be wrong. And if you don't like any of them, you can just put them all down and be like, well, none of those were good. Random card.
0: Uh, but yeah, I could be wrong. This might not be good, but I think it is. At face high, I'm like, oh, I think that I have seen this effect be useful in the past. Mm-hmm. And this does that and shores up the weakness of that effect. Yeah. So.
1: I mean, it might be good. I'm, sure. Saying I'm not sure. You, might be I...
0: right. you are a better judge of that sort of stuff than I am typically, but. I'm thinking it's good.
1: Well, if Once Upon a Time in Companions are anything to judge by, I am not. <laughs>
0: I mean, the fact that you have been wrong doesn't mean that you're not good at it. My next card is a lot splashier. Only a cooler, splashy card, right? So we got another mythic. Ancient Green Warden as an elemental. It's a 5-7 for green, green, and 4. It has reach. It has, you may play lands from your graveyard. So, here he's lithoforming. If a land enters the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time, which means that your landfall things happen twice.
1: Or if your land has an ability like it's a temple that skies.
0: Yeah, true. And other things. But by and large, for this set, that is going to typically mean landfall things happen twice, right? Mm -hmm. Not to dismiss what you're saying. Like, that is valuable. Six mana for a 5-7 that makes your landfall things happen twice and you can play lands from your graveyard. Like, that seems good. Uh, yeah. I think if you want to have a good landfall deck that still wants to be playing the game after turn six, mm-hmm. just to really find its home, but it's definitely real powerful.
1: Well, you gotta keep in mind the landfall deck also might have ramp spells in it, so you might not be playing it on turn six. It might be turn three or four. Probably not three. True. But...
0: <laughs> <laughs> this makes me think of Primeval Titan. I don't think it's at the same power level as Primeval Titan, but Primeval Titan is a six mana... Ramp creature is like a big beefy dude costs a bunch, but mm-hmm. once you get it out there, you do a whole bunch of landfall triggers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Primeval Titan was super good. Yeah, I don't think this is as good as Primeval Titan because you don't like you don't get to choose lands and get to do crazy land strategy stuff with it. Just lets you play extra lands if you have some in your graveyard to play. But instead of making two lands to cause your landfall things to trigger, it just doubles your landfall triggers mm-hmm. so i think it will a lot of times do similar things if not quite as crazy power yeah so i think it's cool my next was is another green mythic ashaya soul of the wild is a legendary elemental for green green and three power and toughness are equal to the number of lands you control and non-token creatures you control are forest lands in addition to their other types and this is another card that I think is kind of has that interesting juxtaposition of being an expensive card that ramps you, but it's just five, which is doable and it makes all of your creatures forest, which means they can tap for green. So like if you have a bunch of creatures, then it just instantly ramps lunch and also just gets real big. So like, I don't have any like crazy combo ideas with it or anything and like not say really, like, oh, here's the thing you maybe didn't think of. It's pretty straightforward, but that's another card just wow that seems really strong Be interested to see if someone does something cool with that card
1: i think this card's neat because it lets your creatures trigger landfall abilities and then they also tap for green now which is neat too
0: i didn't even think about the fact that then playing additional creatures will trigger landfall after that i just was like oh so if you have like six dudes they have to be non-token so you're less likely to have six of them but like if you have six creatures and you play this guy then you can tap your creatures to play another yeah, giant. Yeah, but that's why they had to say
1: non-token, is there's a lot of cards that landfall to make tokens. And yeah. so if they didn't say non-token, this would just go infinite with yeah, everything. True.
0: <laughs> oh, that would be awesome, though, right?
1: Yeah, that would be cool. But this would have to cost a lot more mana.
0: My next card is dropping us back out of the mythic range to a much more reasonable card, as uh, I've got a uncommon instant, uh, call me ambush. Yeah. And this is another one of these double face cards that I think is actually pretty good. I I don't think it's broken or anything. I just think it's probably good, even aside from being a double face, it's fine. Because this one is green and two. Target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. And I think typically fight effects at three would give you a bit, would give you an extra bonus, right? Yeah. Give you something. And what you get on this one is that if you need to, you can play this as a land instead. Yeah. So, it's not a great fight effect on its face, but I think three mana for fight is probably fine.
1: Yeah, I think there's times this might show up. Um, I think it's going to be great and limited, and it might show up in constructed decks. My only problem with playing it in constructed is honestly, I just think that the inscription of abundance is better because it's a two mana fight effect at instant speed, and then it's got oh, right. other things it could do, and then the kicker to let you do all the things. Yeah, and yeah, so I'm probably right about that. And I just didn't want to get into the inscription too deep because we'll probably get into it when we go into yeah. inscriptions um, later. I
0: think that that's a point that you're good at that I don't pick up on a lot of times. I think I'm decent at evaluating cards in a vacuum, but I'm bad at evaluating cards in a meta, right? It's like I had no idea, even having read the inscription, I looking at this card, I had no idea there was another fight effect in standard. And there's probably several, yeah. right? And all of them might be better than this. And in that case, this isn't... like even. This if is certainly
1: playing, the worst fight like, effect that someone might play. But I think someone might uh, still play it because it is dramatically different from the other ones because it gives you that option of being a land. And so like, I think it is much worse than the other ones as far as the fight effect goes. And so I don't think it'll be played very often because I think most of the time you're okay with that being your spell. And I think that the inscription is better... At being a fight effect whenever you need a fight effect. And something else when you need something else. But that sure. something else is not land. So it might still... This card might still get played yeah, sometime. That,
0: that makes sense. I think that's something I hadn't thought of. Is not just like looking at the card in a vacuum. But comparing it to other cards that do a similar thing. That's a thing that I'm not... Yeah. But I think that's where I think... That it might even be fair to say, although it'd be we'd have to go and check, like check the numbers, right? But that might even be fair to say that's maybe where I get my most, most of my mistakes come from. I think I'm pretty good at just looking at a card and evaluating its power level and like, is that a good card? But I never, like, I just can't remember all of the other cards that you might be playing instead, yeah. And so, yeah. I think that's a fair point. I think mean, probably this isn't good enough because there are other things that do this better. Uh, but, all by itself, I'm like, oh yeah, that seems, that seems good. Seems yeah. good because you can play it as a land and it's fine. As a effect.
1: Yeah, and then I've got a run of cards to make up for me having not said much. I said one card in the last ten. <laughs> <laughs> I've got Lotus Cobra here, which is another reprint. And honestly, I might not be excited about it if I had gotten to play with Lotus Cobra the first time around, but... Whenever it was in standard last time, it was just out of my price range to acquire it. Because oh, yeah. it was when I was in high school and I didn't have much money, and the card was super expensive.
0: Yeah, it was like one of the premier cards.
1: Yeah, and so if I had gotten to use it the first time around, I might not be as excited about it. But, like, there's not anything I particularly want to use it for right now. I'll probably try it out in my Landfall Ramp deck, because it what it does. Yeah, but, it's a Landfall Ramp <laughs> But I'm not particularly excited about it for that reason. I'm more excited about it because I was like, oh man, I'll get a chance to actually play with this card that was so exciting for people when it was in Standard last time, and that people play in Eternal formats and stuff. Um, So what it is, is a green and one for a 2-1 snake that says, whenever I land and there's a battlefield under your control, add one mana of any color. And so it's just, it's a 2-mana 2-1 that gives you extra mana for playing lands. And so it's just really good at, like, when you play extra lands and you now have more mana to play more play-extra-land spells. So it's just yeah. really good at letting you play extra lands. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, it's a 2-mana two 2-1. Two like, it can hit people. <laughs> so I'm excited about it because I, I missed out on playing with it when I was playing at the time it was available last time. So that's going to be cool. And there's been times where I wanted to brew stuff with it in Modern, and I was just like, but I don't really want to pay... Forty dollars to get myself a playset of this super specific card or whatever, you know, and they'll be cheaper. For a yeah, bit. yeah. So. Uh,
0: I think my primary thought about Lotus Cobra is like I underestimated it the first time around back when Zendikar was new. I understood that this is an efficient card, right? And it's good. And like when people were talking about how good Lotus Cobra is, they were like, yeah, okay, but it's not. Like, I didn't think it was exciting. Turned out it was one of the better cards in that set, and so now I'm not excited about it for, like, the opposite reason. i just like, yeah, I I am aware of what this card does, you know? I think it's nice to get a reprint of it because it'll make it more available for people, and it's a card people enjoy playing, so it's nice for it to be back and everything, but I'm like, yeah, this is a powerful card, and I saw that last time. <laughs> it will probably be powerful this time.
1: You yeah. Know? So next up, I've got Roiling Regrowth, which... If you just look at it at first, you're like, oh, this is kind of a bad Haro. Because what it is, is a green and two instant. And it says, sacrifice a land, search your library for up to two basic land cards, and put them onto the battlefield. Tap, then shuffle your library. But what it kind of is, is a fixed Haro in multiple ways. The main one is that it, they come into play tapped, so unlike Haro, you can't, like, do crazy stuff with them coming in untapped, and your Lotus Cobra, and now you have all this extra mana, and you played another Haro, and it gets ridiculous. So like power level is fixed, but right. also just as far as like feeling bad when you play it, it's fixed, because Harrow sacked the land as part of the cost. So if your opponent countered it, you just you're down the land now. Sure. Whereas Royaling Regrow, it sacks the land as part of the effect. So if your opponent counters it, you don't have to sacrifice a land. Yeah. So it's actually better for you if it gets countered than Harrow was. Admittedly, you don't really want your spells to be countered, so being better when they get countered is not a huge upside. But it's it's cool, it's an instant speed way to put two lands into play. It's pretty cool, and I'm excited to play some Magic with it.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. This is very reminiscent of Haro, and I think the fact that it's power level fixed and the lands intertapped is probably good in that when a card's too powerful, you know, getting a reasonable version of it it, is good, right? That's fine. It can be disappointing when you're excited about how powerful the other one was and now this isn't that powerful, but we want things to be the right power level, right? Yeah. Like, ideally. And then, in addition to that, I think that the non-broken, fair, powerful things that Haro could do would give you two additional landfall triggers, right? So you play your land, play Haro, that's three landfall triggers this turn. And this yep. still does that. Yep. That's the really cool thing that you can do with it. I think that it's not necessarily the most powerful thing that Haro did, because like you mentioned, Haro is kind of broken. Yep. And so we don't want that. What we do want is the really cool, reasonable effect. So I, I think this is good. I'm really glad about this one because, like like I said, it, you get the landfall triggers without getting broken nonsense.
1: So yeah, I'm excited to play with that. That'll be fun. And one thing I'm going to play alongside is Scoop Swarm. This is a card that I'm definitely going to try out in my deck. It's a 3-mana 1-1 one, one Insect. You know you got to love it. Green and 2 to cast. <laughs> it's got landfall to make a 1-1 one, one Green Insect creature token, But the real kicker on this is, if you control... It doesn't have kicker. Um, If you (laughs) control six or more lands, create a token that's a copy of Scoot Swarm instead. So if you have six lands in play, you make your sixth land drop. Instead of making just a one one, you make another Scoot Swarm. And so this can just get out of hand like crazy. Yeah, this
0: is going to grow exponentially.
1: I'm excited about that.
0: Your sixth land makes one Scoot Swarm, right? Your seventh land makes you two Scoot Swarms. Your 8th land makes you 4 Scoot Swarms.
2: And then, yeah. and like,
0: I haven't taken that far enough to show this becomes stupid, right? But, like, we're doubling every time. It gets into the hundreds very quickly, you know?
1: And so I'm excited to teach you some Scoot Swarms. One of the things I'm going to use my Scoot Swarm with is my Swarm Shambler. Actually not. I don't intend to use these cards in the same deck. Sounds thematic. Right? But the Swarm Shambler is not even a buck. It's a fungus beast. Um, okay. It's a green to cast for a zero, 0 fungus beast that enters the battlefield with a plus-one, plus-one counter on it. But it says whenever a creature you control with a plus-one, plus-one counter on it becomes a target of a spell or ability, an opponent controls create a 1-1 one, one green insect creature token. Mm-hmm. And so it does make some insects. And then you can pay 1 and tap it to put a plus-one, plus-one counter on it. And the reason I'm excited about this is because I was really looking in this set for there to be a one drop in green that grew as the game progressed so that you could have a one drop that was worth playing in your green deck, like for an aggro deck. And there may be some better options in playing some other combination of colors and having a one drop in one of the other colors, and it's better. Like if you're playing a red green landfall aggro deck, the hellhound guy might be better. But I'm just saying I wanted wanted a one drop in green that got bigger, and this is that, you know? Yeah. It doesn't get bigger and also attack in general, because if you attack with it, it's hard to use the tap ability to get it bigger. But it does also have another upside. If your opponents are using like targeted removal on your creatures, you're going to get some 1-1 insects yeah. to litter the battlefield with. And those aren't always useful, but they can be role players sometimes. So I think this card's probably going to be useful, and it filled a role that I really wanted to get filled.
0: Yeah, the question in my mind is like, most of the time, not always, but most of the time when your opponents are targeting your creatures, it's a removal spell and so that ability whenever a creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it becomes a target of a spell an opponent controls, you get a green insect creature token. Assuming that your creatures all have plus one plus one counters on, then all that really does is give you these little 1-1s when they killed your other dudes, which is decent but that just means that your opponent's going to want to kill this first, which isn't a bad thing.
1: Yeah, like, make them use their removal on your one-drop first.
0: And that's not not valuable. It's just, you're probably not going to end up generating a ton of insects with this thing. What you're probably Probably going to do is, it's going to die and give you an insect.
1: But, I mean, if you have two of them in play...
0: Definitely you can get more insects that way. Yeah, but I
1: I don't think it's amazing. But also, I think it's going to be probably really good in, like, that black-green limited deck where... Plus one plus one counters being placed on your creatures matters. Sure. Because it it can do it every turn. Yeah. In standard, there's a two mana two two that has whenever you get a plus one plus one counter on a permanent, you get an additional one. And so if you play this guy later in the game with that guy in play, he'd come in as a one mana two two, even though it's later and that's not as valuable. Like that's pretty cool. And you can tap him to put two plus one plus one counters on him. Sure. And there's like another creature that's like whenever a creature with a plus one plus one counter on it you control dies, you get a two-two knight. And so like if you play both of these guys. Yeah stuff like that. So I was just like, I think that this card could very well work well with other cards to be good, and is on its own kind of okay.
0: Yeah, I think this is definitely more of a you card than a me card, because you are very good at turning, like, small incidental effects, and, like, pairing them up with other small incidental effects to create huge quantities of things happening. Mm -hmm. Like, even if they're all fairly small things, they become very difficult to deal with because you've got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And like that that's not typically how I play Magic. So to me, it, this would almost always be like, I made an insect when my one mana creature died. <laughs> and for you, this is going to end up being like, oh yeah, like every time one of my creature dies, I get three insects, two knights, and plus one plus one counters on all my other guys. And <laughs> like how, how does that happen?
1: So yeah, I, I think this card's cool. And I'm going to be excited to play with it.
0: Then I've just got a couple of cards left on our list here. We got a couple other things that we're going to talk about before we shut this thing up. Uh, it's probably going to be a long episode, but I think all of our individual card episodes are just going to end up being long anyway. So we finished all of the colors. Uh, we got a multicolored card and a colorless card left to do. I've got Nissa of Shadowed Bows. She's a legendary planeswalker. Nissa is starts with four loyalty. She's a green, a black, and two. And she has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, put a loyalty counter on Nyssa of Shadow Bows. Say plus one to untap target land you control. You may have it become a 3-3 elemental creature with haste and menace until end of turn. It's still a land. Or minus five, you may put a creature card with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of lands you control onto the battlefield from your hand or graveyard with two plus one plus one counters on it. And I think Nyssa is very strong. And this is super strong, especially because if you play her for four, right, and then play a land, you can immediately minus five her. Yeah. If that's what you want to do. That may not be what you want to do because she also would die, but...
1: Or if you, say, play a final passage and sack it and get another land, you can minus five her and keep her.
0: But so, like, I think the fact that you can just do her minus right off the bat fairly easily. It's not just guaranteed. You do have to, like, jump through a hoop, but it's not like you have to jump through hoops is, like, this one hoop, you know? Yeah. So, and I think her plus one is really good. Uh, just plus one to untap a land would be not terrible on a lot of Planeswalkers. It would be great if the plus one could protect the Planeswalker. Doesn't do that. But it untaps a land. That's a thing. hmm And then in addition to that, if you want, you can make a pretty reasonable creature there.
1: It pressures other Planeswalkers quite
0: yeah, well. A 3-3 with Menace is a decent creature to get for free, you know? Yeah. And then, like, that minus five, I think it's notable that you can get a creature from your hand or graveyard, and is limited to creatures with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of lands you control, so it's not like you're going to play Nissa on turn four and then get Imrakul. Yeah. So you can't do super broken stuff like that, but number of lands you control, we've seen that on things before, and it's typically more powerful than it looks like at face value, because... That means like if you have five or six lands, you can get a five or six drop and also spend your five or six mana on something else, you know? Yep. So like I think that's good. And all of that is true. Plus, landfall to add loyalty on Nyssa means if you want to build your deck to do it, you can give Nyssa just tons of
1: loyalty. Yeah, she can be very difficult to kill just by yeah. having lots of loyalty sometimes.
0: If you build a deck designed to trigger landfall, I don't know. Zendikar Rising could be different, but based on my experience of landfall in the past, if you want to build a deck to trigger landfall, you'd easily build a deck where you play Nyssa, get three landfall triggers, next turn get another landfall trigger, the turn after that get two more landfall triggers, and you can keep plussing her that whole time if you want to. Mm-hmm. The turn after you play her, she have like ten loyalty. It just yeah. seems like a very
1: powerful card.
0: I'm not seeing any particular neat things to do with it or bring up about it. I just think that...
1: A neat thing to do with it is to reanimate your Fertilid. Uh,
0: Why Fertilid?
1: Because it's a 3-mana zero zero that enters with 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters, and you can pay mana and remove counters to get a land into play. Ah. And so if she reanimates your Fertilid, it gets 2 extra plus 1 plus 1 counters, which means you can use its ability more and get more lands to put loyalty on the which is cool. Not actually
0: good. Dude, if Fertilid gets two counters, right, and Nyssa adds two counters, that means just reanimating Fertilid by itself almost just, like brings Nyssa back up to... This is not a good... I'm not saying this is good. I'm just saying Fertilid can get you four land drops after you've reanimated it with Nyssa, yeah. which will give her four loyalty, and it costs five to do it. So you're only down one at that
1: point. Yeah. I mean, it costs like eight mana to do that, though, because you have to pay two mana for each of those sure, things. But... Sure,
0: Yeah, I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying like, wow, that actually is...
1: I'm saying that's neat.
0: <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know? I just, I think this Nyssa is really strong. Yeah. And then the last card that I added to this list was a colorless legendary artifact, Forsaken Monument. It costs five to play. It says colorless creatures you control get plus two, plus two. And whenever you tap a permanent for colorless mana, add an additional colorless mana. That's colorless, not generic. And whenever you cast a colorless spell, you gain two life. And I'm like, hey, this is promoting a strategy that isn't standard. Uh, you get affinity decks in older formats. You see decks of all colorless things sometimes, but it's not usually the thing that you do. And this gives you a lot of bonuses for doing that. I don't know if the tools are available to do it in standard, and I don't know if this is good enough at 5 mana to go into, like, affinity and eternal formats and stuff. I think not. But, yeah. <laughs>
1: 5 mana is the are there. But right. I think it's going to be great in commander colorless yeah, decks.
0: sure. It just, it is giving you a lot. That's all I really want to say. This is giving you a lot of upside if you want to do this thing that's kind of a weird, uncommon thing to do is to yeah. play a completely colorless deck
1: and i mean it is really good with stone coil serpent yeah. like if you have lands that tap for colorless mana you can make your stone coil serpent extra big and then also it gets an additional plus two plus two and gains you two life yeah this card's really good with like a stone coil serpent and that card's in standard and there are other x spell creatures in standard i don't remember if the other ones are rotating or not because i wasn't looking for that before I I expect someone's going to build a standard deck with it in it. We may never see it because it may just be some random dude and he doesn't do well.
0: Right, it may not be good. And like I said, I didn't add this one because I think it's good. There's a lot of cards that I did add because I'm like, oh, I think this is good. I don't think this is good. I think it's probably not good, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I go so far as to say it's bad because I think if you jump through all the hoops and actually it could be good in your deck, it's just that probably isn't the best deck you could be playing but I I I don't know I'm not saying it's a good card I'm saying it's offering you a lot and I'll be interested to see if anyone can make that work
1: yeah yeah it'd be interesting
0: but I think that's like all of the individual cards that we wanted to bring up and talk about we did have a few groups of cards that we wanted to touch on before we end the episode yeah do you want to start with the the cards that we thought were really bad sure that's a fun thing let's take a break from
1: saying cards we like and talk about cards that we thought were queens and misses the one that made me think of putting this section in here mm-hmm. was throne of mckinney it's just a bad mirrodin score it's tap for add a colorless and then one and tap put a charge counter on throne of mckinney and tap remove a charge counter for throne mckinney i misread <laughs> this card it says add two mana of any one color. I thought it just added a mana of any oh, color. Okay. I That's why this card... I
0: like, was what card you were thinking this was a bad version of, because I couldn't think of another thing that did this. It, like, I was like...
1: I thought this just added a mana of any color. All right, this card's not terrible. I strike it from the list. It
0: is specific <laughs> to kicked spells.
1: Yeah, it adds a color list, and you can pay one and tap it to put a charge counter on it, and you can remove a charge counter to spend two mana... To get two mana that you can only spend on kick spells. Mm-hmm. So, like, it can help you kick spells, but is pretty useless for anything else. I guess, really, it is yeah. It is kind of bad, and it's in a rare slot. I'm like, why is this card not just an uncommon?
2: Yeah.
1: Or legendary, if, it's, if you want to go, well, it's the Throne of McKinney. It's like, well, then why is it not legendary? But it is kind of bad. It's not as bad as I thought, and so, like, <laughs> I thought it just made one mana, and I was just like, this is god-awful. <laughs> why did they make this magic card? But I guess I understand it now, but it's still bad. I think I added this next one, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I think that you added all of these except the last one. Yeah. You go through yours.
1: So Demon's Disciple. At face value, I was like, oh, that's kind of good. I am I like that they made that, you know? But then I really yeah. thought about it. And I'm just like, this card could be better, and there's no reason why it's not.
2: Okay. What it is,
1: is a black and two for a human cleric 3-1 that says when he enters the battlefield, each player sacrifices a creature or planeswalker. Mm-hmm. They've made multiple cards before, too, I believe, that are 3-mana three, three ones that when they enter the battlefield, each player sacrifices a creature. Fleshbag Marauders and... Ooh, I don't remember, but Fleshbag Marauders is the first one. And, like, they were pretty good. And this guy can hit planeswalkers, too. But sure. then I thought about it, I was like, but they literally just had a card that's rotating out of standard right now that was a 3-mana three 3-2. Three, that when it entered the battlefield, each player sacrificed a creature or planeswalker and each player who doesn't had to discard a card. Okay, And so I'm just like, this is just worse than that card in two different ways. It has less toughness so if you keep this and sack something else, it's just not as good on the battlefield as the other creature was. And on top of that, if your opponent doesn't have a creature or planeswalker, this is just dead. Whereas that one you can be like, well, I can play this and make my opponent discard a card at least. And sometimes that was good. You said
0: the other one is rotating out, right? Yes. What if they're like, oh, that was good. We want to keep it and maybe bring it down a bit. So because I think it was too good. What I would
1: like for them to have done is on this, is like when it enters the battlefield, choose creature or planeswalker. Each player sacrifices one of those. Then you could use it to like murder your opponent's planeswalker, and you get to keep your guy. And like that would be good. Yeah. Or you can make each player yeah, cool. sack a creature, and then he dies. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think that would be a really good card. But I just, like, why did we have to just make this guy a worse Plague Crafter? And I don't know that giving your opponent an option on what to sacrifice is actually better than the Fleshbag Marauder. If they yeah. have to sacrifice a creature, you can get their good creature with it sometimes. Whereas, like, sometimes they have a Planeswalker that they're like, I would rather sack my Planeswalker than this creature, so I'll lose the Planeswalker. And so, like, yeah, hitting Planeswalkers 2 means that there's more things he can hit, but that also means that there's more things he can hit. Yeah. I don't know. I, so I just, like, I, I feel like it's just a downgrade on Plague Crafter, and I feel like there's no reason for that, for them to have taken it and powered it down multiple ways when Plague is not seeing play in Standard right now because <laughs> the Throne of Eldraine onward cards that got printed were just too good. So there was no reason to play Plague Crafter. And it's like, the cards that are rotating out were the cards that when they were in standard with other stuff, Plague Crafter was seeing tons of play. And so it's like, we're we're taking the card that's already been overshadowed by the other cards in standard and making it worse.
0: Here's my question. In Guilds of Ravnica Limited, was Plague Crafter really good? Yes. Maybe they wanted the Uncommon to not be really good in Zendikar Rising Limited. Like, maybe it's filling the same role. Like, they basically want to create a sack outlet on a creature, and they don't want it to be quite as good this time around, because it was really good in that format.
1: But, in my opinion, I think Playcrafter would be worse and limited in this set, because this set has a Maybe lot more token-generated right.
0: I, I I'm not arguing with you. I just, I don't know. I don't look at this card and be like, oh my god, that's bad.
1: I didn't this either! Is- I looked at it and I was like, oh, hey, that guy, he seems cool, I like this. And then I was like, wait a minute, why is this guy so bad?
0: <laughs> He's just not as good as something else. He's fine. I forgive you, Demon's Disciple.
1: And my next card on the list is exactly the same way. I looked at this, and I was like, this card seems fine. People are going to oh, use this as Don't really like it, but it's okay, whatever. And went on with my life, and then I thought about it in comparison with another card, and I'm like, why is this one so awful? It's a Red and in 2 instant. Molten Blast, I guess I should name, say the name of the card. It says, choose one. Molten Blast deals 2 damage to target creature, or planeswalker, or destroy target artifact.'" So it's basically got three modes here. It's like 2 damage to a creature, 2 damage to a planeswalker, or destroy an artifact. Yeah. And I was like, that seems not great, but like, I'm unlimited, kill some small creatures, blow up an artifact that matters, I guess, maybe, whatever, and maybe snag a planeswalker somewhere. But then I thought about it thinking about a Braid, right? Uh-huh. Braid is a Red and 1, 3 damage to a creature, or destroy target artifact. Admittedly, it can't hit planeswalkers. Mm-hmm. But 3 damage versus 2 damage to a creature is a huge difference. Yeah. And then 2 mana versus 3 mana is a huge difference. And I would be fine with them having done either thing. If they ticked it down to 2 damage so it could hit Planeswalkers, or they ticked it up to 3 mana to hit Planeswalkers. If this dealt 3 yeah. damage to a creature or Planeswalker to destroyed an artifact for 3 mana, I'd be like, oh, great, that's cool. Different, a brave type effect. That's neat. Sure. Or if it was 2 mana and it dealt 2 damage to a creature or Planeswalker or destroyed an artifact, I'd be the same thing. It's like, ooh, it's like better magma jet kind of thing, you know? Instead of Scraton yeah. 2, we could blow up artifacts sometimes. But, like, why did we just, why did we just make it only deal two damage and cost three mana? (sighs) Ah, just, that's the thing. It's like, this one and the Demon's Disciple, like, at first glance, I was just like, okay, sure, fine, whatever. But then, like, I thought about it, and I was like, why? Like, a Braid is not busted. A Braid is a good card. Why did we need to make this a worse Braid? And, like, admittedly, it can hit Planeswalkers, but for two damage, how much does that matter? It's like, oh, yeah, if there are Planeswalker ults and it didn't die, you can kill it. Thanks. Glad I can kill the planeswalker they ulted on me. We should get to do three damage. It doesn't even go face. Alright. But that's what I've got.
0: I put spoils of adventure on the card. We already talked about it. This is a signpost uncommon for blue white. It's gain three life and draw three cards for six mana.
1: I mean, there's a cost reduction mechanic on the card,
0: mechanic that is not actually useful. I don't know. I, I actually don't think this is all that bad, because I think, like, Opportunity costs six. It draws four cards, like that's an extra card. But it doesn't gain you the life, and there's no option to get the mana, get reduction. The mana reduction. So, well, I'm aware, and, and I actually think Opportunity is good, right? And they're both Uncommon and Opportunity was a good card. It really depends on whether or not the format is slow enough that you get to do
1: it. And in place of that fourth card, you get to gain three life.
0: Yeah, so I, I don't actually think Spoils of Adventure is all that bad, but... This is just like it
1: does seem the poster
0: child dramatically for me.
1: worse than all yeah, and of the also, other signposts. Like
0: this is the poster child for me for like party being a dumb mechanic.
1: How smart will you feel if you pay two mana to draw three cards in game? I, mean, I two
0: won't. Time. That's the thing. I'll feel lucky, not smart. It doesn't seem like party. I don't think is reasonable to like construct a deck where you have like a roughly equal number of four different creature types and then put together one of each one. And then you can play Spoils of Adventure.
1: But I think the idea, though, is at 5 mana, this card is very good in Limited. Yeah. And yeah. you'll probably have one of those. I-, I was being hyperbolic adding it to the list of why are these cards No, so I'm, I'm with you. I think that this card is also <laughs> awful. But... I don't know. Here's the thing. I don't want to play the White Limited, so...
0: I do not believe that Zendikar, with Landfall and all of that stuff, is going to be a slow format. But if the format is slow enough that you could play a five drop to gain three life and draw three cards, then that would be good in limited, especially because it is reasonable to think you might get to play this for four. Yeah, And so like at that point, it's probably pretty good. And I think that they were just scared. They thought, like, "Oh, there will be people who manage to get the full discount on this mm-hmm. often enough. We can't make it." Two and three. also, they if you don't make it cost powers. six mana,
1: they can't get the full discount. You know, like if they make it five if mana, they, they, they can't to get, be get the four mana card, off. right? But like, you think blue and four would have been the... a better card? Yeah,
0: I do actually, because that's one of the things that makes this so mind breaking to me. Is like you have to be playing blue white. And maybe you're playing a third color or whatever. But then you also have to have all of these different creatures and everything. And if you pull it all off, you get two extra cards and three life. It just it just yeah. doesn't seem like it's giving you enough for all the hoop, hoops it's actually to get through.
1: This might but blow some people out in Limited, though.
0: It, yeah, it can. I've blown if people out. If the game goes yeah. long enough, it really can. Yeah. And that that's why I said, like, I'm kind of being hyperbolic. In Limited, this can be a bomb. Especially if you get it discounted, like at all. Yeah. But I also don't think that this limited format is going to be slow enough that this is going to be reasonable. I don't think you can expect to win games off of it. You might can win games off it, but you shouldn't expect to.
1: I don't know. I think it's playable, but yeah, I, I do agree that a card is very underwhelming.
0: But then we we had some other, like, just kind of general categories of things. There's this partial cycle of inscriptions. Oh, yeah.
1: I didn't notice. What color didn't get a cycle? White Art. and red. White and red didn't? Oh.
0: There's a blue, black, and a green inscription. I know that you hate that.
1: I don't hate that as much as I hate five out of ten two-color pairs.
0: Really? This would bug me more.
1: Wizards did promise to never do this again. This is a thing they promised to never do. <laughs> really? Yeah, they said they were never going to do partial cycles anymore because people hate it. So I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if there's, like, inscriptions in some other set.
0: Yeah, people are gonna be asking where are the other inscriptions Yeah, immediately. But I guess we may as well just go ahead and read. We can
1: give everybody a generic overview of they have a kicker cost that if you pay it lets you change the modal spell into doing Yeah. Any number of the modes instead of just
0: All one. of them or some of them if that's what you want. Right. So yeah, inscription of Insight is blue and three, has a kicker of blue, blue and two, and then its modes are return up to two target creatures to their owner's hand, or scry two, then draw two cards or target player creates an XX blue illusion creature token where X is the number of cards in their hand.
1: Did you say it was a sorcery? It is. And they're not all sorceries. That's why I thought it was important to mention. (laughs) Description of Ruin is a black and two, and the kicker is black, black, and two. And the modes you can pick from are target opponent discards two cards, turn target creature with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, or destroy target creature with converted mana cost three or less. This one's kind of interesting because... I think, like, all of these modes exist on other cards in this set. <laughs> Maybe not the return of creature converted mana cost 2 or less, but there is definitely other reanimation spells, and yeah. there are other spells that make your opponent discard 2 cards, and there is another spell that's 3 mana and destroys target creature with converted mana cost 3 or less. And so it's just funny that's like... I mean, this is definitely better than any one of those because you have all these modes, but it's just like, why are there all of these? <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, and then we got Inscription of Abundance, which is kinda of the outlier, because it's an instant where the others are sorceries. Yeah. This one costs a green and one, and the kicker cost is a green and in two, instead of two colors and two. Yeah. But the modes are put two plus one plus one counters on target creature, or target player gains X life, where X is the greatest power among creatures they control, or target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. And this is one we pointed out when I was talking about the fight card earlier. This is This can be played as a green and one target creature fight target creature.
1: Yeah. And so that's why I was saying, like, I thought this one was better because the backup plan on it is put two plus one plus one counters on your creature as, like, a fail-safe, like, if my opponent doesn't have anything. And then there's also the possibility of, like, well, I'm about to die. Like, I can gain, like, seven life sometimes, you know? And
0: then, like, the super upside is you can play this for five.
1: Which is not that much. And, like, put two counters on your creature and make it fight something and gain a bunch of life.
0: Yeah. Like, the Inscription of Ruin, to kick it, it's total 7. And Inscription of Insight kicked is a total of 8. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, those get pretty expensive kick. Inscription of Abundance is actually reasonable. Yeah, that one's
1: pretty doable. But that one also is, like, if you kick it and you do all of the modes, it's like, yeah, you killed their creature and gained some life. Good job. So, like, (laughs) I think it's perfectly reasonable. I think these seem to be balanced pretty well.
0: Yeah, these these seem like cool cards, though. I like them. I... Don't know that we need to spend much time dwelling on it, but I did want to bring out the fact that they brought colored equipment back. And I just think that's interesting. They're artifact cards that cost specific colors to use. Yeah,
1: and there's one in every color except for blue. And they all have, when they enter the battlefield, you attach them to a creature you control. And then just as a tangent, there are two colorless equipment that also... Oh no, the the white the kite sail also does that too. Yeah, so there are three colorless equipment that also enter the battlefield to attach to stuff. Like I think that's all the equipment in the set when they enter the battlefield attached to things, right? Yep. That's that's
0: pretty cool. Yeah, not a whole lot of interesting stuff to say. I just think the concept of colored artifacts is interesting. And then there's another cycle, sort of, of these like relic things, right?
1: Yeah. The relics are artifacts that, like, go along with the creature types in the set. Yeah. So there's one for each of the different tribes. Relic Amulet goes with the wizards, and whenever you cast an instant sorcerer or wizard spell, you get a counter on it, and you can pay to and tap it to deal damage equal to the number of... and remove all the counters from it to deal that much damage to target creature. So yeah. It's like, it's a removal spell, repeatable removal spell, but it, to to do it, you need to cast wizards and incense and sorceries. It's pretty cool. The relic axe is the warrior one. It's an equipment, and yeah. it gets plus one, plus one, but if it attaches to a warrior, it gets plus two, plus one instead.
0: Yep, Relic Golem is a 6-6 creature for three, but it can't attack or block unless an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard. That's kind of the rogue mechanic, eight or more cards thing. It also has two and tap target player mills two cards, so it can help you get those cards into the graveyard to do it. That seems kind of cool. 6-6 for three, has hoops. but Relic Vile is the cleric one. It's a three-mana artifact. Has two and tap, sac a creature, draw a card, and as long as you control a cleric, it has. Whenever a creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life and you gain one. Yeah, life.
1: and then Skyclave. Re- oh wait, no, that's a
0: different <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, so doesn't that mean? Oh no, they're they're only. Yeah, they're- uh, this is another part of why party is a frustrating mechanic to me. Five different things makes a cycle in Magic, and
1: what? Now the inscriptions were only three. Yeah,
0: yeah I know. So
1: pathways and are magic six.
0: Magic cycles are 5 they're trying things. to upset in this set. And then the party mechanic has four different ones. If they had done five different things, there's lots of other very classic things. Yeah. And you know, like warrior like,
1: is not actually one of them. Right. That's just, as like, close an analog as they could get right. to a fighter, a barbarian maybe. Yeah. But like knight would have been a great representation of paladins. Sure. shamans for druids or whatever, you know? there's plenty of
0: options, and if they'd have had one more, then they could have had one that shows up more frequently in each color type, and when they, like, have the relic cycle, there could be a fifth one, which doesn't really matter, but it just, like, throws me off. It just seems weirdly clunky. It just doesn't work in any of the ways magic works. But we had one more cycle of stuff that we wanted to talk about. We brought these up last time when we were talking about the new mechanics in the set, because... These are the pathways. They're all double-faced. Yep. Names, right.
1: We've got branch loft for green white. Bright climb for white black. Mm-hmm. Clear water for blue black. Crag crown for red green. Needle verge for red white and river glide for blue red. They all have different names on the back, but that's not really that important.
0: Yeah, this is one thing that, like, I understand why they wouldn't want to do it because, like, I get how it complicates a lot of things that just don't need to be complicated but i think that since bright climb pathway and boulder loft pathway are functionally identical they both are just lands that don't have a basic land type that tap for white like i think it would have been cooler if branch loft pathway was bright climb pathway on the other yeah, side yeah they had like you know
1: It's like, look, this card is you taking the option between these two pathways, and this other card is the option between these other two pathways, but, like, overlap and stuff. Yeah,
0: I think that would be way cooler. I do understand why, right now, say, like, Gatherer probably doesn't have a way to have one card on more than one cards, or whatever.
1: And, like, you, you wouldn't be able to have four Branchloft pathways and four Brightclimb pathways in your deck. If, yeah, you know,
0: like. Actually, that's see, that's the question: is like, would you? Because like, when it's not on the battlefield, then it only has the characteristics of its face, or, or its front face, right? So like, I could see like, but the the rules would have to be made to handle it, is yeah. the thing, right? But my point though is, I think that would be a lot cooler. I understand that that would have required them to make changes to how some things work. That they don't have to do if they just make these cards have different names. And I see why they would, like, that's what they want to do, you know, is not have to do that extra work. But I think it would have seriously. Avoided. I think there should have been five or ten. <laughs> I think it, this is another thing. It's weird there's six, and none of them are black.
1: Six irritates me less than five does. But it would make more sense if it was five.
0: It's really weird to do two blue ones, two red ones. And no black one.
1: Well, I mean, there's three black ones on the other sides.
0: I know. I get that. Or are there? There's two black ones on the other sides.
1: Oh, wait, no. This one is red-white, but the white side has a black text (laughs) box on the red side.
0: Ah, yeah. That's
1: what was throwing me off.
0: Anyway, I just... I think that these are weird. I think they're weird. I think that I like the concept for the... I really hate double face cards. So, like, I can't totally get on board with these. But I do like the idea that you choose which color it's going to be when you play it. I like that. I think that this is definitely going a nice-looking way to do it. If I didn't have a principled issue with not having magic backs on the back of the cards, I would like this. Yeah,
1: I just don't like not being able to play my deck without sleeves. And I think that the notepad card that they gave you in this one is definitely not I, good I enough. I still
0: like... I know i said it multiple times. It's really weird that there are more than five of these and none of them have black on the face. Yeah. On the front face. Because, so like, they easily could have done, like, the black and blue one as black on the front face and blue on the back face. And they would have the same quantity of colors and they would have had at least one of each color on the front face. Yeah. like it's It's just really weird that they chose not to do that.
1: Maybe the other because they, they said somewhere, I don't remember where, that the other four would come soon. I don't have a clue when, but maybe Calltide or Strixhaven, like one of those sets just has something in it where like they wanted it to be darker and creepier, and so they wanted to have maybe. two blackface ones in there. Oh,
0: We don't want to have any blackface.
1: Maybe that's why they don't have any. But maybe they wanted to have two with the the black one on the front. Is that better? And then they'd have two of each. I don't know. know? It just
0: seems odd. They made some really weird choices with this set. Overall, I think I'm going to like it. There's lots of cool, exciting stuff in this. But there are some weird things like Pathways and just Double Face cards. Generally, uh, only having three inscriptions. Fucking spoils of adventure. (laughs) I don't know. There's some weird stuff in here. But I, I certainly am looking forward to getting... My playsets of Nighthawk Scavenger, like, just Anticognitions. And yeah, I know that's a common, but, like, that is one of the cards I'm the most <laughs> excited to play with. Anticognition and Deliberate in my deck with Magmatic Channeler and Umrah Mystic. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll put Molten Blast in there, too. Go home. I think that guy, Duncan, really had
1: some uh, thoughts that I agree with. Well, you know, I think that you probably should. I don't always agree with that guy, Duncan, but that guy, Donovan, I do agree with a lot of his things. Anyways, let's get into this judge call, and we can really show past Duncan and Donovan what they didn't know. Yeah, definitely. We have some corrections on the previous week's judge call. I think we really tried to jump through some hoops to make the release notes that... Talked about how you could put a land from your hand into play if you could use those double face cards and you could use the backside mm-hmm. to do that. And we really jumped through some hoops to make that work with our understandings of the rules. And it turns out we didn't need to do that because we just misinterpreted the release notes there.
0: Yeah, I think I even said last week, this is not making me like these double face cards
1: anymore. <laughs>
0: Still feeling so that.
1: It turns out if something says that you can put a land from your hand into mm-hmm. play, you can't use the back sides of these double faced cards. You can only use the front sides and only a very few of them are lands on the front okay. side. But what it was talking about in that release notes was that whenever a card says that you can play a land and it means like use your special action of playing a land that you can use either what if side. This
0: of is it. Uh, you can play an additional land this turn.
1: Yeah, that's that gives you more special actions okay. of playing a land.
0: And if you are putting a land from your hand into play with card like uro for example and it is a land on the front face can you play the back face
1: no you cannot you can only play the front face okay and that kind of ties into the whole thing about if something is entering the battlefield from another zone that's a double faced card you have to do it has to enter on the front mm-hmm. face and it's kind of that same rule and like that's why if you have one of these land spells and you have it on a land in play and somebody exiles it with like a flickerwisp type effect it wouldn't come back at all because it would come back on the front side, and the front side is an instant or something like that, and so it can't come back to okay. a spell on the battlefield. You can get people's lands that way.
0: Sure, I mean pretty corner case scenario, but yeah,
1: yeah, I know. It's just I was just talking about how that's kind of tied it like that's the same rule that keeps you from putting the back sides of your double faced land into play. Yeah, but I mean, I
0: was just gonna say it is cool when you can like turn your ghostly flicker into a land destruction spell.
1: Yes, although I believe Ghostly Flicker would only blow up your okay. land. Uh, so. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> like, yes, that is cool.
0: All right, it still works.
1: Is it good? I don't
0: know. <laughs> Didn't say this is, like, strategic advice. Did you have more you want to say on that, Donovan? I don't think so. All right. Well, Donovan, before we actually go, we've gone and come back so
1: many times this episode, so we... We had our ad. <laughs> I don't know what the timeline looks like. I am very confused about where we are but, right now or when we are. Where we are, I'm fairly confident on. When we are, I don't have a clue.
0: Before we shut it down and wrap it up for this week,
1: it's a wibbly wobbly tarry, I want to stuff.
0: remind our audience that we have a Facebook page now that Donovan set up for us. And you should go over there and like the Facebook page.
1: Yeah, because that's a good way for more people to see the podcast and hear about it is if the Facebook page has some likes. Yeah,
0: so you know, even if you don't like the podcast, go over and like the Fashi book page.
1: If you like the po- us or the podcast enough to get to this point in the episode, <laughs> I would like for you to go like the Facebook page. All right. Especially because Duncan can't. (laughs) All right, we need you all to make up for Duncan not having a Facebook at all and being unable to go like the Facebook page. I mean,
0: I can view the Facebook page. If I go to Facebook.com slash Planeswalkers Anonymous, I can see the Facebook page. I guess,
1: I don't know, if you just did that enough times, (laughs) I guess that could help. Like, I mean, Google starts going, ooh, this gets a lot of traffic. I can set up a bot. Ooh, Google will never know how to handle
0: that. Well, Donovan, if anyone wants to find you so that they can, I don't know, tell you that they liked our Facebook page, where do they find
1: you? Yeah, you can find me at Boardwalk Games in North Dallas. We sell Magic the Gathering cards for any of you that are interested in that game. And you can also find me on the Twitters at Day underscore Donovan. Or I've been streaming most Fridays on the old Twitch at twitch.tv slash dday underscore 99.
0: Cool, and if you want to get in touch with me and let me know that I should make a Facebook page just to like our own Facebook page, then you can get me at Engine Within on Twitter, or you can go over to EngineWithin.com to find more of this show and all of the other things that I'm doing, theoretically. Including some links to our stuff from T Public, which you can pick up at tpublic.com slash user slash EngineWithin. But if you have a spare dollar to throw our way i prefer you join us at patreon.com slash engine within where you can get access to our discord and like, get first access to the podcast and all that cool stuff that you get from patreon we should probably add some little speaker.
1: well that seems cool um i guess that's it for me folks later days on <laughs>
0: lasagna don't get me on you.
1: point of order are you theoretically doing stuff or can they theoretically find the stuff you're doing? I am
0: certainly doing stuff and all of it that is currently getting done is going up on the page where they can theoretically find it however I'm contemplating doing stuff that theoretically
1: That's not a sound I like.
0: Sorry, I was making a reference to something that nobody else will get.
1: It's okay, I understand. I make my jokes for me, If they're not for you. I have to hear all of my jokes. You only have to hear some of them. So if they're funny to me, that's what's important. Well, I must only hear the good ones, then. Ooh, Unban Oko, 2020.
0: Sorry, I was gonna make a joke about myself being an asshole, and I realized, like, oh, that's not something I am gonna say on the show.
1: Okay, I can. You're an asshole, Duncan.
0: No, it's it's the word that I want okay. to exclude from the show, not the sentiment.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs>